Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and the Creativity Gurus is now under one brand, Out of Silence. Peace. Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. I'm so serious. Super easy. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. Mostly, I'd use the computer, but I just did the phone, and it was super easy. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt, so so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get creative. Welcome to this edition of Creativity Gurus. My name is James Ippolitti. On this episode, I have filmmaker, writer, actor, Eric Soliard, who previously was on my podcast when podcasts first started. It's probably 13 years ago. We do talk about that. We get into a lot of things. This is the season finale for Creativity Gurus and the Songsmith Podcast, technically, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to take this break... Uh, and kind of develop both of those into one thing. It's just I am pulling myself in so many directions. I need to figure out how to bring them together. In that break, I will still be around doing some very weird upcoming things, very um, horror-related stuff coming up. So I hope you stick around for that. And this episode is very long. It's like two hours. So take it in breaks if you have to. Um, it was such a good conversation. Myself being an atheist and Eric, who is a Christian, we talk a lot about the idea of religion and spirituality in entertainment and how that can sort of, how do you find that middle ground? So really had a great conversation regarding all of that. Um, so... Once again, this is the two-hour season finale of both my podcasts. I am going to take a break and do a little horror goodness in the meantime, um, and I'm going to rebrand Creativity Gurus and the Songsmith Podcast into one wonderful creative journey for season two, so definitely follow me on Instagram at James underscore Ippolitti. Uh, if you want to see some of the craziness of the horror, go to TikTok. It's going to be at James Ippolitti on TikTok, and you're going to see some crazy horror stuff. And also my Patreon.com slash James Ippolitti to get my stories that I'm writing also horror-related. You will learn a lot more about that stuff very soon. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Eric on this edition of the Creativity Gurus. Thank you for turning me on. We have Eric. Welcome to the show. 
I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, honestly, it's probably been at least 12, if not longer, years since we talked uh, on a podcast. Uh, you were on for The Creek. Is that, that was what we were talking about. What year was that, The Creek? Well, we shot that in 06, 07 it did festivals, and 08 it went out and um, got distribution. Okay, so it was sometime around that. And I know that you were an actor in the murder game. Yes. And that. Oh, wow, we're going back. We are going back because I just saw that there was a 10th anniversary Blu-ray for the murder game. And you, you guys actually did a little behind the scenes of that. Well, not a behind the scenes, but a 10-year like retrospective. Yeah. yeah. Um, act, well, I mean, I can't take any credit on that. I mean, uh, yeah, Jason Contino, who yep. I believe, I think that's who introduced me to you, was him and Rob. That's right. Um, and, but they, him and Rob decided to do a Blu-ray re-release 10 years later, and they actually got a bunch of the actors back from it. And so I went down to, geez, I think that was in Maryland, and they just did some quick interviews. And it was cool of them. It was a neat, neat idea. Yeah, it is a really cool idea. So... Back then, when you um, were working on the creek, were you fresh out of college at that point? No. See, that's what. Okay, so the the creek was basically Rob and Jason's fault in some ways because <laughs> I was actually so I took a, a one of those um what do they say non traditional routes to college, mm -hmm. and I got done with school. I wanted to be the short short version, if I can, is I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do acting, and back then we didn't have internet, you know, or anything. So my dad went to the local library, did a bunch of research. And God love him, came home and said, okay, Eric, so I, I looked at a bunch of books and stuff. 5% of SAG actors make a living acting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so with that being said, they weren't supportive. <laughs> I mean, it was if you want to do it. I mean, so, and, and just with the way life was and stuff, I mean, I ended up just working for a company delivering fish. It was a fish company. Wow. I drove a fish truck. And I did that for about a year and a half, two years. And then a uh, dude I worked with, actually it was the owner's son, like sat me down and he goes, you don't belong here. And he put a application for the local community college in front of me. He goes, dude, fill it out. And I always give credit to him. It's because of him. I ended up going to Hack and I went to Millersville. So I only graduated college at 25. So um, then we moved to New York and I was doing acting and I was acting in tons of stuff. I mean, freebies, you know, like it was right. student films, independent stuff. Um and, and so many times you didn't get tape back. Like, you do it for tape. You do it, you know, for your reading. Yeah, right. And it just, it would it was just like, well, why don't I get this, you know? So then I was like, I'm going to do my own short. And I had worked with Jason on something in Lebanon before, oddly enough, right when we'd first moved. So we kind of became friends, and he came up, and, and he helped me shoot this little piece called Interrogation, which I think... You can watch on IM. I think it's on IMDb. I uploaded it. At, you know, at some point they ask you, like, do you want to do whatever? Um, and it was just a, a fun, weird piece, like you know, real simple. Um, and then I realized why people don't finish things. Oh uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, right? You know. And then I was going to do another short. So after interrogation, Jason and Rob did murder game mm -hmm. and they wanted to cast me in it and well they asked me to come down and audition and i was like cool and i was like did you realize these are high school characters like, yeah, <laughs> they're like we're cool and i was like all right and i mean i was i think 32 when i shot murder game and i was playing this you know high school mm -hmm. kid and i'm like oh it's 902 and all over again yeah but you, you know, know that like, that is pretty much tradition when it comes to those kind of slasher type films is they cast 
older people. That's a joke in, I think, one of the scary movies. <laughs> yeah, I think you're <laughs> you right. You know, that was, they're all high school um, students, but they're in their 30s. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, as an actor, I mean, it was a good, fun gig. I mean, it was, you know, low budget, but I got to, they made a mold of my head. I got my head mm-hmm. cut off, which was totally awesome. And it was a feature. And I was like, if you guys think I'm right. And so they cast me on the one thing, which was cool. So to get way around to your question, I'm sorry, tangent, um, but I usually come back. Uh, I was going to do another short. And I thought, let's do something a little bigger, something a little more in depth. And Rob, I think it was Rob just emailed me and he was just like, dude, you're going to do 80% of the work that you're going to do for a feature to do that short. Yeah. And he's like, you can't do anything with features except, I mean, shorts, except put them in festivals. He's like, honestly, he's like, the shooting's longer, the editing's longer, but everything else is pretty much, you're doing the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so, you know, we had that discussion with my wife and I'm not good at raising money. And we took a second mortgage out on our house and we didn't go crazy. Like we could have taken a lot more money, but I set the budget at 18,000 was our shooting budget. And then we had 25. So we had 7,000 for festivals and marketing and post-production. Um, but yeah, so I think I was 33 or 34 when we shot, um, the Creek. So going all the way back to your question, no, I was not out of high school. I was, wow. I was well, I was well on my way to adulthood. Wow. Fortunately, I wish it would have been right out of high school because now I'd be like young and like, yeah. You know. Well, you didn't age like I, me. I'm I'm all gray. You look you look fine. <laughs> Thanks. I get a lot of people when they find out my age, they just look at me. But see, that is the one gift of going bald. Like if you shave your head, you know. And I and and actually, I started just going clean shaven because honestly, I this is getting gray. Yeah. Well, if I do this, it's the whole Vin Diesel effect. Exactly. When he did that that movie where he grew his hair out, and you were like. Oh my gosh, he looks like he's mid fifties. Yeah, you know, right. Like, so yeah, yeah, you're, you're so staying young. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's interesting that you started out as an actor. When was it that you said, "Hmm, I like being be or like a like directing and producing and putting these things together"? Because right now you do a lot of you have your hat in a lot of different areas. So, the are you still? as passionate about acting or are you more about behind the camera and behind the scenes? I think I always say to people and sometimes they get a little, people want you to focus, you know, like I was just talking to a producer who um, says he has some connections with a company and he was asking me, you know, a lot of people, what do you want to do? I want to make movies. If that's acting, if that's directing, if it's writing, if it's editing, I, I want to make movies. Like mm-hmm. I like making movies. I like I like the whole process. Right. And I could probably be happy with any zone. Like, is there one I'd like better than the other? I mean, I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy directing, writing, and acting. I really hate producing. Like, it's just not my bad right. that I do it because I have to. Um, but the writing, acting, directing, like all that, really is enjoyable. You know, and it's a lot of fun. So I guess if that's a good enough answer. Yeah, and and I know that uh, Anubis has been around the name for a while. Uh, are you like an Egyptologist fan or something? What's what's up with the name? The name actually is like really like kind of bizarre, but yet irrelevantly bizarre. So when I got out of high school, I did I, I made a line of T-shirts and I sold it at the local skate shop, and I think I had it a couple other places and. 
I had the designs and I knew these designs and people liked the designs and they're like, Oh, you got to do t-shirts. And I was like, all right. So I looked into it and I took them to the, the, you know, the, the printer and they said, blah, blah. They had the t-shirts already. They're like, but I, I didn't have a name. And they kept going, well, you need a name. And I was like, yeah. And there was a, a, a really short lived, I believe, um, Japanese import cartoon called Ronin warriors. It's and vaguely familiar. Yeah. It was not a big hit. I don't think they did have toys. Cause I have, I have the Anubis toy. That's cool. Um, but there was a dude on it named Anubis, and he was, like, the, the worst of the worst. And then during the series, he has, like, an a, 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 I forget exactly how old, but he has, like, an epiphany. And actually, there was a good guy called the Ancient One. Well, Anubis becomes the Ancient One. And I like that story. I've always been drawn to that. I like that, you know, a little bit of the whole, you know, salvation message there. You know, like, he just. Oh, yeah. It's almost from, like, like the, the, the road to Damascus, Saul turning to Paul kind of story. Oh, yeah, it was just, and he was the worst one, too. Like, he was just, everyone was scared of this dude. But then he becomes the ancient one, and I don't know why. So then I I did the whole Motley Crue thing where I just added my own little, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it used to have the umlauts over. Oh, yeah. that I didn't even know what they meant, to be honest. <laughs> but I was like, oh, it's cool. It'll make it different, you know. And I, I've gotten rid of those, and and we spell it with two ends, you know, the actual Anubis. And then I let in, I fed into it with the jackal head for a while. Like I had a jackal head logo, mm-hmm. but we just rebranded. So now you got the whole cleaner, more yeah, very nice, up to date thing. Plus, then people, I was so tired of like not obviously this, but when you had the jackal head, people were always like, so Anubis. Yep. And then I'd have, and I'm like, and if I was into that, I mean, I know the story because I've had, to, I looked it up because I was like, well, I'm putting it on my shirt. Right. But it just became this long, like everyone I met was like, so you're into it. You yeah. The, yep. to you. And I, and you know me from where I had the jackal head yes. and everything. So it was like, makes sense you're asking. And I said to my wife, that might not have been the best name. <laughs> so I carried the name over because I just was like, well, that's what I always used. And I was kind of like, that'd be cool, you know, but I have the name for a new, if I ever start a new production company. I have the new name. Okay, and that is? Rolling Doghouse Pictures. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> my, my, my kid, when he was little, everything, he, we'd have him sign cards. When I mean, he couldn't write his name, and he'd draw. We'd do a drawing. Every drawing. What's that? Rolling Doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't look anything like a doghouse, but it was a ruling doghouse. Oh, I know. I My kid, it. when they draw pictures of the family, I'm like, God, this this is frightening. <laughs> That's me? But but you don't tell them that. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. Mirror image. And yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's where the whole Nubis thing. It actually went back to me in high school, and I just kind of carried it through. Right, and so after the creek, um, you went on. To, to, how did? Well, let's first back up because you know the world we live in today versus when we talked when the creek. I mean, distribution now. I mean, you honestly could create like your own shorts and do all this stuff you have a lot more i guess opportunities you feel but at the same time so does everybody else you know do you feel like it was easier then because i talk a lot to musicians as well and and there's uh you know as an artist online today you you can definitely get more exposure but it's a lot of work versus back then it still was a lot of work but it was different how do you how do you compare those now well, and you know what's weird? When I hit, when we did the creek, everything was just transitioning from like being just super expensive mm-hmm. to you had your um, HDV format that a lot of people were switching to. And actually, I shot the creek on the cusp of that. And we shot that on, I believe it was the DVX. Um, 
oh wait, it was right there. It was the one everyone was using at that time. It's something B. Um, Jason had bought a camera and he was wanting to do DP work and and he got a fat set of sticks and um, oh DVX one hundred B. I think it was. Yeah, it's probably like thirty dollars on eBay now. Oh, you can't. Yeah, if that. Um, <laughs> it was mini DV and we shot and that was the hot camera. That's what everyone's using for like real low no budget stuff. Right. And then. HDV took hold like between us shooting and me editing. And when I went to distribute it, almost everyone was like, eh, they wanted that, they wanted HDV. Right. And the other thing that got silly, and it falls into what you're saying, was I had a lot of filmmakers contact me because we did play in like seven festivals. And I had film fi- filmmakers contact me. They're like, how did you do that? And I was like, well, you know, I sent him out, blah, blah, blah. And the thing I realized was in, in doing that was we actually got lucky. I mean, hopefully the product was good. But places that I was submitting to in 07, three, four years prior, would get two, 300 submissions. We're now getting 1,000, mm. 1,500 because the prices had come down and people could make more things like me. And like you said, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, it's great, you know, how everything is because it's, it's so much cheaper. But like you just said, uh, my theory is also it is, it's more accessible, but also in a sea of crap, find a diamond. Yeah. You know? So like there's a lot of film festivals have so many submissions. You could have a really great piece, but if you don't grab them in the first 10 minutes, they turn it off. I mean, cause they're so overwhelmed. They're inundated. Right. And, and now I think we're at a point where it's not, but at then festivals were still a gateway. Right. Where now I don't even think you have that gateway anymore because like you're saying, and anybody can put anything out on the internet, but unfortunately I think the sea is so much bigger. And I know people, you know, like that aspect of it. I, I find it, it, like you said, it's so hard to connect with people or who you need. I did a whole series for 12 Bells. So I tried to do a movie, 12 Bells After the Creek. We had, it was $2 million budget at one point. We had half the budget raised. We went to Minnesota, had locations. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. And I, if you want to ask, I don't want to jump ahead of you. But the problem is, like, I did shorts after that that were called 12 Bells, the prequels. And I thought, well, if I could get some traction on these, that'll help me then back into the feature. And my own producer, now this says other things, but I had sent them to him at the time. But, like, a year later, there was a distributor looking for horror stuff. He's like, hey, you know, I want some 12 Bells stuff. I'm like, well, dude, what about these prequels? Right. I thought he just didn't like them. And he was like, oh, send those to me. He got back to me. He's like, these are great. He I awesome. never even saw them. But he never like my producer never saw the um, but but it's also they had like forty thousand views I think or eighty thousand somewhere in there but still unless you have the money it's almost like back to the old days where you needed the production company that had the marketing money to then get your name out there well now you still need somehow that way to get the marketing money to get the thing out there because there's just so many pulls on our attention yeah you know like like podcasts there's so many podcasts that's right so many this there's so many that and and i always say to people i don't know in a weird way i think it's almost harder now because there's just such a sea of crap and and not that my turd is an exceptionally shiny i don't know <laughs> like, you know what i mean there's a lot of people making cool stuff too but it how do you get that you know headway and i've been trying to focus on hyper local and this new project really try to do that and i'll be honest that's hard because people's 
attention so fractured, you know? Yeah. It's just a weird world. So I think in answering your question, yeah, that's kind of how that all worked. And now I think it's just, I I don't, I don't know that I'm a fan. I don't know that I'm not a fan. You know, I, yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, it's interesting because you brought up podcasts and when I was doing the podcast in, what was that? 2007. I mean, I remember having to send out requests and having a PDF explaining what a podcast was. I remember you saying that on another podcast. And I'm like, and and now you're right. Everybody, even grandmothers have podcasts at this point. And it's, you're right. You're in a flood of it. I just do it because I enjoy it. It's fun to get to talk to other creatives. And it's a, it's a lot of fun doing that. Um, and uh, you know, the musicians who were around when we were shooting films back in the 2007, they're not making the money they used to make, but they might have the easier exposure. But now with streaming and things like that, they don't they don't make anything. Uh, so it, it is a kind of a double edged sword. Well, musicians, I mean, you, you know this world better than me. Like my what I've been hearing on the street, though, is it's basically you have to play out now, right? Like you, they can't. There just is no. That's money correct. With the streaming stuff. That's correct. No money. Yeah, you have to tour. Like, oh, and that's so hard. Like for a lot of people, I mean, you just can't drop everything. You know what I mean? And just do a small tour. Yeah, and I think you know? for creatives, uh, whether you're shooting film or if you're writing songs and like you like you said you're doing the hyper local scene i think it is we're at a place where we have to be creative in how we're doing things i love the idea of the hyper local we're going to get into that um but i think even you know it's interesting it it's sort of the same and sort of different so when the beatles came out they made no money off their records they made money from touring that's oh, why really? they toured extensively in the beginning because they were not making money. They had a really bad deal. And then once oh, wow. they, they were so fed up that that's why they never toured eventually. They just stopped, went into the studio, and they had a new contract to make money. Okay. And they're like, we're yeah. done with touring until they got on the rooftop, you know? But, uh, <laughs> and that was the end. Uh, but, well, you know how it is. It, yeah. It's so hard not to interrupt you. I'm it's okay. No. No, it's just it, it it's interesting. But I love what you said there. Like you said, you do it because you love it, and that's also I've enjoyed listening to your podcast because you can tell it's, it's something you do because you love. You're talking to creatives, which is just great because you talk to people I'm not necessarily would never hear or talk to, but their struggles are all the same. Yeah, you know, it's still a lot of that same struggle. And I also say, you know, being someone that. So I've been trying to do this since I quit the fish game. <laughs> the fish game. <laughs> There's a new in movie. The early nineties. Um, I've been trying to do acting. I've been trying to do film, and and it's one of those things. I just actually, oddly enough, got asked to speak to the, like my old high school, like the drama club. Mm. And I was like, whatever. I was like, that's cool. So I went in and I was chatting with them a little. But like I said to them, and I say this to everybody. Don't pursue acting. Don't pursue film unless you love it and you're too stupid not to do it. Yeah. Like, it's just because if you do it for the wrong reasons, it's just too hard. Right. It's it's just too hard. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge quote from Spielberg, too. Somebody asked him about his time shooting Jaws, and he said, two words come up, courage and stupidity. <laughs> I never heard that. Yeah, yeah, that's his two words he says that he thinks about during that time, and it's true. Had he had any brains, he would have quit that. That was one of the worst productions ever. <laughs> Uh, and it, but look what he got out of it. I mean, at the end of the yeah, day, yeah. But it, no one knew that while it was happening. 
<laughs> no one. It was awful, the stories behind the scenes of that. I mean, how long it took, how much. And he even said that to um, Kevin Costner when he was p- making Waterworld, saying, what the hell are you shooting on the water for? I've done this. It's a dumb thing. It's a mistake. Stop. Do you, ever, do you remember that movie with um, Christian Slater? And it was like in a town and they were robbing it or something, but there was a flood going on. I mean, we're going back late 90s, early 2000s probably. I can't remember the name. But the whole movie is pretty much people wading through water. Wow. And, and, and this town that's flooded. And all I kept thinking the whole movie is you couldn't pay me to be in that movie. I was like, I, do, I don't want to be wet all day. Right. I wouldn't want to work on that movie. Yeah. I hate water in general, like just being wet and damp. And so I can only imagine when watching, we usually watch Jaws at least once a year when we go to the beach. Right. Whatever it is. I don't know why both my kids are like, it's Jaws time. Yeah. I'm thinking, we're going to go on the beach tomorrow, but all right. Yeah. Um, but, and I always think that too, like all those scenes, I'm like, and they're not green screen. You know, no. like, not only know. that is they had to make sure the camera was facing in a direction where nothing else was happening. Right. And if something came in, they had to wait until a boat got out of the way. It was a disaster. Oh, that would be horrible. And, and the shark I never mean, worked. Like, well, that was, yeah, I, I mean, go ahead. if he, if he had his way, the movie probably would not have been good. Cause it would have had too much. Shock. Yeah. He would have just thrown in more cowbell. (laughs) We need more cowbell. cowbell. We need more shark. (laughs) You know, and it's funny with that. And then and then on the independent film side, I'd love somebody to pay me to do something stupid. You know, like in a weird way, it's like, well, he was getting paid. So if it did go south, eh, you know, I mean, his career was on the line on some sides of it. But the other side, I know all the stuff I'm doing for nothing. It's like, man, someone could pay me to maybe make a mistake. Yeah. It'd be amazing. You know? Well, you know, that's why they say as a filmmakers never make anything with your own money because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the creek. I mean, I, and I but we went into that like with our eyes open. Right. I, I'd said to my wife about, you know, I was like, we're not going to plan on getting this back. And, you know, it was definitely one of those situations where, again, you do it because you love it. And, and and I always looked at it. My college, I went with Hack, which is, you know, Harrisburg Area Community College. Very reasonable. Millersville was not an expensive school. So I got away with no school loans, basically. Yeah. So I was very blessed that way. And I always looked at this like this was my um, sort of... Oh, I apologize. No worries. I had that turned off, but for some reason it's still not liking me. Um, but I always looked at this as like my education. Like this was this was kind of... The Creek was basically my college bill. So well, to some degree it, it was like you got to pay the piper somewhere. You know, it's funny. I have the DVD of The Creek still. It's down, I saw it yesterday. I, but... Uh, to, if somebody wanted to see that, is there a way online or is it only available on DVD? How would they watch The Creek? I had it uploaded. Um, I had an iPhone version you could download off the website uh, back when that was cool. Well, actually, it was like before anyone's really doing that. I know. I was just going to say your distribution then was really like ahead of everyone. Well, in some ways, well, I had normal distributions through um, uh, Ryko Distribution. It went through somebody, okay, and you're familiar, I'm sure, from back in the day. There was only like seven outlets on DVD. Um, But everyone, you know, but then there was like a thousand crappy labels that had deals with those seven outlets. So you would sign a label, uh, a deal with some horrible distribution guy who he had a deal through Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And then it would go out through Warner Brothers. You felt like a million bucks. But there was no accountability. There was no way to really track anything. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get reports out of the people. 
people. And every filmmaker I know from that era got totally screwed. Right. And it was just the way it went. Um, and my deal was similar, except I took a three-year... I went with the guy I went with because I had a three-year out, where everyone else I knew had a seven. And I was like, well, at least if he sucks, I'm only stuck for three years. And I got, like, the best deal compared to anyone else because in three years, I got one report the whole three years. The guy basically said... It seemed like I sold, like, 50 DVDs or something ridiculous because we had 3,000 printed. And after, like, 600 sold, I was supposed to start seeing, like, good prop. Like, it was, like, 50% with him, you know? Um, So I couldn't get a report. So after three years, I just ended the contract. So it's a fun offshoot story. We had lived in New Jersey at the time, ended the contract. We moved to Pennsylvania. Um, All of a sudden, a year later, I think, the guy that bought my house... Semi got a hold of me and he's like, Hey, he goes, I got all these boxes here for you. I don't, I don't know what, you know, do you want me to like forward them to you? Like what? Here, the guy, the small distributor, he can't, when I canceled, he canceled it with Ryko. Ryko shipped all my DVDs back to me. Well, I got 900 DVDs back, which was amazing because all my friends got nothing. So now at least I had 900 of my own DVDs, which was cool because, one, I know I sold 2,100 DVDs now. Good. So I was kind of like, cool. And, two, it's really nice now because, like, I can say to people, oh, here's my movie. Oh, here's my movie. Like, you know, so I got really lucky in some ways. So now, I mean, I don't think I have it uploaded anywhere else these days. I was going to at one point. I forget. There was a couple smaller places with older movies. Well, could it, uh, couldn't you just no, put it up on Amazon at this point? You'd have to ship you know, it yourself, probably, but... To be honest, maybe. Is that better? Did I screw you up the audio up? No, no, no. I didn't hear anything. Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. It's And you know what? And I think my guess is with you and all you do, you'd understand where... I, I, the frustrating thing about wearing all the hats is you, there's nothing's getting done right sometimes. Yeah. And there's so many things like I want to, I'm like, ooh, and then you're like, you got to let things go. And so right now I don't have it anywhere. I've always thought it'd be cool to like get it out again. My kids the other night, they've seen it once and they were like, hey, we want to watch this at Halloween. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not in the mood right now. <laughs> I see myself with hair. I was like, I just, uh, I'm not emotionally in a place where I want to see myself thinner with hair. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, no. So I got with that, I mean, but it, it, it just was tough, though, because you just you knew going into it, like Jason and them, I, like I had heard their stories and they had heard stories. And, you know, so we all kind of knew you're probably going to get hosed. But again, it's, it's hopefully a calling card, a foot in the door. And and it is neat to, on the level of I still meet people like, you know, where, you know, you tell them and you're like, well, you know, it was in Netflix, Blockbuster, Walmarts. You know, you could get it through all those places. Mm-hmm. Blockbuster's funny because people look at you like, yeah. What, what is, is that? Place you speak of, um, but it's neat. Like, there's not a lot of people that have had that done. You know, in the sense when you meet filmmakers, because a lot of them just don't end up getting distribution back then. And now, like you're saying, there really isn't distribution. A lot of it is just people putting it out themselves. Yeah. So it was a unique experience. Yeah, and so you went. On, uh, we talked a little bit about Twelve Bells. Um, I remember. Well, I just watched the trailer again, or the teaser. Which yeah. is pretty good. Uh, I, cool. But I got a question, though. What happened to the steampunk glasses of the character from the prequels to the, you know, he ends up losing them, I guess. Is that is there a story there? Um, and why was he? Well, like? So I never got to see it. And so I have two yeah. questions here. Um, I didn't get to see all the prequels because when I went to look at them, it was just like season two. 
So am I missing something? There is a 15-minute one. Was that the whole thing? I ended up okay, so I originally because people did can see a, this. I want them to take a look at this because I thought it was really cool. Uh, thank you, I appreciate. Yeah, I, I really like. I've always liked this story, like this uh-huh. this idea of there are so many people who go missing, and just that one question: what happened to the five percent that we don't know about? Yeah, that's frightening. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's like for me, and it's also intriguing. Yeah, it's like well, and and I like that you know the what if factor. Yeah, what if something like X happened to those people, and and it's true. Like like where do those? Yeah, we find most of the people, but what about them? Yeah, it's like the UFO thing. Like you know, they say oh, not ninety percent of them are explainable, but then it's like okay, well that leaves ten percent. What does that mean? And I love the idea where this sort of missing. Uh, thing and then you created a really interesting sort of world there too, which which is it, it's fascinating because what you're sort of doing. Uh, well, let talk about Twelve Bells just so we can uh, discuss a little bit about it. Well, okay, Twelve Bells was after I did the Creek. I realized a couple things, and one is having five people together is not that scary. Like having three people together is not that scary. Like a lot of the movie, there's more than there's multiple people together. And realistically, when you really look at it and you think about it, and when you, when the viewers putting themselves in that place of that person, it's never that scary when someone's with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe you know, well, well, that dude will get killed, you know. And I realized with the Creek, I was like, you know, I want to do something. I wanted to do it better, and I kind of looked at it as like, well, where can I, where can I tweak and tool? I wanted to do something else that was like, hopefully unique you know I like that I, I like those weird twists the what ifs you know mm-hmm. it's kind of my gig and I like thrillers really like you know Jason used to make fun of me on the set and James Hollenbaugh the DP that I was like the, the worst horror movie director ever because I'm shooting a horror movie but didn't know horror movie because <laughs> to be honest I wasn't I didn't see you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre and those I, I was really more a thriller guy and I love thrillers and so I really wanted to like come up with something and I also speaking of Steven Spielberg it's that Jaws thing yes. where I was like, I got to find something that everyone can relate to. You got to find that something where everyone goes to the beach almost so I can relate to that because that too triggers that, well, what's that happened to me? Mm-hmm. And what I came up with, better or worse, was one, people go missing every year and there's those 5% that you don't find. Well, what happened to those people? And then the other thing was, well, almost everybody has a doorbell. And I set this up where at on the hour, if your doorbell rings and you answer it and nobody's there and you walk through it, it's actually a gate that takes you to this purgatory type place. And there's an angel there who got basically kicked out. Um, his job was to go and he was supposed to um, go to houses and, and if people were you were kind to him, they'd get blessings. If not, well, nothing. It, there was no retribution. It's just, well, they didn't get blessings. Mm-hmm. But over time, people got more evil and more evil. And finally, he rises up and like slaughters a house. So he gets sent to this place that's like a purgatory. Well, I always look at it like he found a way to keep working. Like I'm like, so he ends up finding a way and once a day he can interact with the real world through like a doorbell ring the doorbell if somebody comes through it they enter into his world now he was only pulling evil people into him so this is all stuff like you sort of find out you know through the script it's not you know this is kind of that big chunk of you know you're getting it yeah but like it's laced throughout the script you find out these pieces and then what i thought was well wouldn't it be cool if this little kid goes missing and the angel 
Like, he's not evil. He was just kind of sick of, like, the people. Mm-hmm. And he ends up protecting him. And in this place, you don't eat, you don't age, you can sleep, but you don't need to. It's like a, a pure purgatory. And the people there really, you, you think about it, you've just put together a prison of the most evil people in the, like, that this guy can find. So I have these, like, in my, like, some great characters, like the twins, who in the trailer, yes. the two girls, hello, hello you know. Yeah. Um, the twins I love, and, and there's so many cool characters in there. Um, Sam, the guy in the trailer that has all the tattoos that's, like, yes. running with the axe, that's Derek Roden. He's actually in the prequels. Um and he's in that episode, uh, season two. And so, like, him I knew, and, and, and I wrote that for him because he'd just be great in it. But so I came up with this whole world, and then what happens is the, the boy finds a way out. Like, and, and the movie actually starts where he's already gone, come out of it. He's living, like, in, a, in his apartment. Like, he's a recluse. He has nobody. The neighbor girl had grown up with him until he went missing and sort of refriended him. But it's, like, the only friend he has. His po- apartment has no doorways in it because he doesn't want any doorways. So when you're sucked off, like, that didn't come out right. When you're sucked in this weird <laughs> world. The twelve-year-old in me can't resist that. I'm sorry. Uh, so when you're we're taken yes. to this weird to this purgatory, what happens in there is the door. So going back to the whole door thing, regularly if you go through a door, you can end up anywhere else in the purgatory, which is really bad because you don't know who's going to be there with you. Mm-hmm. But on the hour for one minute, there's this grandfather clock you can always hear. The doors function normally, so that's another thing to it. So what happens is. The, the angel wants him back, and it's been trying, but he ends up in the beginning of 12 Bells pulling in everyone on the floor of his apartment, the, and mainly the girl that he's friends with. Mm-hmm. So Caleb ends up going back to try to rescue mainly the girl. Like, he's so scarred and weird. Like, he really doesn't care about anybody else. So is this the character you play? Um, in the trailer trailer, no, I'm just right. randomly technically in the prequels. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, what I mean. Technically. But I mean, realistically, like when we were making it, my producer was like, they'll never let you play this. Like, ideally, that's what I wanted to do was be able to play that. And that was the but other you're calling him the boy. Was there is there a scene that's not there about a younger kid that I'm not seeing? Well, he originally gets taken when he's 12. All right, but we don't see back out. that story. That doesn't actually happen in the movie. You find that out through okay, the okay. thing. Not that it couldn't change, but originally that's not. You just find out that he was taken. You, there's a conversation with the neighbor and her friend how what happened to him. You know, everyone's kind of weird about him because he's that weird kid that disappeared for five years and showed up looking pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, so he looks younger than Yeah, her it's sort of like Jumanji him. meets Hellraiser or something. <laughs> yeah, no, we were, I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something like that. So then, but see, he knows the rules. So when he goes back to save the people, a lot of them are already gone because they ran through a doorway and they got taken other places. And he knows everyone and everyone knows him because, to be honest, it pissed the other people off that the angel kind of protected him. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of America's most wanted when he goes back. Right. There. So he has to function in those rules. So, like, on the hour, you can get where you want to go while that one minute while the bell chimes, you know, you can get to where you want to go. But then, like, there's there's times where he's forced to just go through it. And then, again, you don't know who you're going to end up with. It's I don't know. Like, I love the story. We almost made it. Um, I had locations in Minneapolis, no, Minnesota. Um, it was, like, think, like four hours outside of Minneapolis. That's a whole story you probably don't have time <laughs> for. But I always say to people, $2 million is $2 million problems. And oh, that's, that's you know, true. We probably... 
three months away. I had gone out to L.A., auditioned some people. Um, we had people attached, and it just it fell apart. And it just that was really the most soul crushing I think I've had experience. Like the creek, you learn you're making low budget though. So I went into that being smart enough to know it's low budget. You right. Know what I mean, like this is what it is, and you know. Um, and, and it's there's people that expect caviar no matter what because it's a film and they're used to two hundred million dollar movies. Right, and you get a thick skin, but I wasn't I was never hurt. I wouldn't say um, that was hard because we were literally two three months from shooting. We had the locations, we had some of the cast, and it just that was kind of brutal. Like when it fell through, you were just like, no, yeah, yeah, it's tough because it is a great story. I love it. Thanks. I love the concept. It. I honestly feel like the audience today would love it. When you look at stuff like Squid Game, and there's also that um, Alice in Borderland where that's that's Japanese, but it's sort of like a game thing where basically people get sucked into these in worlds that are kind of out there and they need to survive, you know? Sun's getting me. Yeah, I see (laughs) that. Uh, But, you know, I think it's a really good concept. Have you ever thought about writing it as a, a novel or something like that? People have said a lot of times about making them into even comic books. Well, my producer actually, they had optioned some comic books, and he was saying if you did it like a graphic, graphic novel, novel or something yeah. like that. And it's, I always get like, I don't know, do you remember that mix? Did you remember Mitch Hedberg? Yeah, yep. I love Mitch Hedberg. And, and I remember, he used to always have that joke. He's like, how, he's like, um, you know, people, what is it? People say, like, you're a comedian. Can you, uh, can you write a, a script? And I'm always like, I don't go to a farmer and ask him to cook. You know, like, <laughs> he's like, you know, and, and it's that same sort of feeling of like, I just, and I just want to make movies. So it's almost like now there's an extra step involved to get to the movie part. And I get what people are saying. Like, well, if you could get traction with the comic book, you can then, you know, hopefully sell it as a movie. And I'm always kind of like, but I just want to get traction with movies. Right. But you, movie. you have a script, right? So you could say, what if you tried to get that to Netflix or Shutter or, I mean, there's a lot more outlets now. How do you feel about that, that there are now, you know, you got Hulu looking for originals, Netflix looking for originals, Shudder's doing originals. I just saw IMDb has their own thing. Yeah. um, Well, basically, I've been tagging them all on the new project. Yeah. Um, And and then when I did Diaconia, to be honest, we shot that in 09, the trailer. And then I got a producer out of Philly and uh, Jeff Herb. And Jeff's great. He was connected to he had his own distribution company with another partner. And he has a lot going on. and, And he did a lot of stuff. But and he he put a lot of stuff together. But it just never came together. And then I did the prequels. And then. Just because, you know, again, I'm too stupid not to. Yeah. And I, and I was really pushing that. And I love that project. And it was just like I tried and tried and tried. And I'll be honest, I am I'm always in search of like anybody that's better than me at producing. I'm not I'm not good at making connections like it's my worst feature. Like I'm not I'm not good at raising money. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm tol- and I'm totally not good at like, you know, I mean, I'll do all the work. On I should media, I should I'm, hook you up with my last guest, Terry. Uh, who just put in yeah. He is the guy who makes connections And I don't know if you listened to that interview But he's like, I'm just really good at getting stuff for free <laughs> Oh dude Oh no, I listened to half of it He's amazing Yeah, yeah. no, that was an interesting one Yeah, yeah I'm not I just That's like been my worst thing And But the truth is I, I And maybe this is a whiny excuse I don't know So many of the people I know that get those connections it, it, It's a It's a 
you know, bass backwards into crap that comes out smelling like a rose half the time. Yeah. You know, like it's somebody sees it on LinkedIn and all of a sudden, you know, and, and I'm like, I hate you. Yeah. And, but I always say to people, too, with acting, my experience was this. It, it was 90 percent, um, basically 90 percent luck. And 5% talent and 5% persistence. Um, because I knew so many people that were, like, talented, just unbelievably talented, but they never hit that that moment. They never bumped into that person. They never did that right, that right piece, you know. And people, actors especially, will get pissy. But the truth is, it's 5% persistence, though, to keep you in the place to have that lucky moment. You know, you have to just keep shoving yourself out there. But at the same time, I've just found so many people that have these great stories of how they've worked, you know, either one year to make it or 15 years to make mm-hmm. it. It's always that whenever and even on your some of the stuff you've played, you know, listening to you and when I listen to other podcasts, when they talk to actors and stuff, it's not that people don't work for it. it it's not that. But you have to make that connection. There's that one moment. I always call it that Harrison Ford moment because he famously said about when Star Wars took off. Yep. He was like. Now I can work. And I say to my wife, I just want that now I can work. You know, that one moment where you're like, boom, you know, this clicks, that clicks. Well, I mean, Harrison Ford's a really interesting because, you know, he's basically a carpenter. You know, I I know like he's like he didn't even know what he was doing in carpentry. He was was like on the roof with a book on how to do this. And was he not? Yeah, no, he was he was was like teaching himself carpentry. The reason was because he wanted to make good choices with films so he's like, I don't want to work on anything. I just want to work on what I think is good. Oh, wow. And, you know, he he really did the right things at the right time, had the right connections. I mean, he did everything, but it was the carpentry allowed him to choose the movies he wanted, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the uh, diaconia, is that how it's said, right? Yeah, that's how I say yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think so. Uh, it sounds <laughs> right Latin. to me. I think it's Latin for service. I have it on the treatment at the top, the, the actual... Yeah, I Googled it. For- I was like, uh, probably a weeks ago. Because we, we've been trying to talk about just having all the hats. Trying to get this interview together was, was just as difficult. We're both super busy. And it's like, I'm always... I, I get it. Like, when you're saying, yeah, people say do a graphic novel. But, like, that's an entire... <laughs> that's a whole other discipline. It is. You know what I mean? I'm and like- it's so much work, you know, <laughs> that you're like, okay, I'm just going to split myself into two now. You know, and and do what I've been doing that's taken up all this time and somehow find time to also have a graphic novel. Yeah. And also, well, in some ways for me, when people say that, it's like, well, maybe I'll just shoot more prequels or, you know, to me, it's like at least then I'm working in my discipline. I'm working. I'm getting. So I do a thing called We Are 11 in PA. Yes, I saw that on your. uh... Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's just a pure positivity project. I do it locally. And basically what it's given me, though, like people say like, oh, you know, you don't you don't make any money out of this. And I'm like, well, I, and I'm like on a selfish side. It does get my name around the community more because I'm doing these local videos for free for nonprofits, local businesses and artists. And, and then I put them out on my We Are 11 in PA page on Facebook and they do quite well for the area. Like they usually get between a thousand, three thousand views. And I get to meet people, which is good because I'm a recluse and like I won't meet people unless I force myself to. So I, the selfish part of it is I get that. Um, and, you know, my name gets out there. Primarily, though, like my wife keeps saying, and she's right, it really forced me, though, to just dig into 
my craft, you know, dig into lighting, dig into shooting, right. dig into, because, um, I don't, you know, Jim Hollenbaugh, James Hollenbaugh? Uh, yeah, know the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he DP'd on the Creek and there's a whole funny story there. That would be for another day. And he's awesome, but he was always my DP. And at that time I basically wrote and directed and produced stuff. And then Jim was my shooter. But, you know, as we went on, he was getting more popular. He's doing freelance work, so mm-hmm. I couldn't always get him. And basically, We Are Loving MPA was my way to practice. And I learned lighting, you know, from watching, being on set, watching other people, watching him. But then I had to actually shoot these myself. So I do the We Are Loving MPAs as a one-man band. So that, I had to, I taught myself, actually, after the creek, I taught myself how to shoot, how to light, you know, and all that stuff, because I was doing the We Are Loving MPAs. Right. But it was still in my craft. So, like, for to circle back with the comic book, I think I'd honestly option for maybe trying to figure out more simple, you know, prequel type. I agree. I think that's a really good idea. I do like the prequels. I do think that was. Um, Thanks. They're fun. I'll get you a link to like, or I'll let you know a link to like the full thing. Okay. Yeah. Please. But and and you had asked. So before I forget. So originally I did those as they were about under three minutes an episode. I think is what it was the first season. And then some people were like, oh, you know, you really ought to do it, like, you know, all together. Like, I don't, you know, I'd love to watch them, but I don't want to, like, watch, click on all this crap. And I was like, all right. So then I, for, after that we were all released, I did that. And there, there is, like, a 15-minute or something that has, like, the whole, you can sit and kind of watch them back to back. Which really isn't what they were, I mean, it blends together. It was all written, basically, as, like, a series. So it's not like it's clunky, I don't think. But it just wasn't the initial intention. Yeah. It was... Hey, watch this. Hopefully you like it. And you're like, ooh, come back for the next yeah. one, you know. Um, you can do that on TikTok also, now. Uh, I want to ask you about TikTok. I don't know it. There's part of me that's morally opposed to uh, it. I know. I know you're always posting about it. And I was like, and people keep going, you got to do TikTok. You got to do TikTok. And again, there's the hats. Like, you get on so many things, you're like, I don't want to do one more. You know what I mean? Like, so I got to ask you about that. But I also had a cool thing, our local theater that's an independent theater, they ran the prequels before their shows. So, like, they'd run them for a week, and then when the next one came out, they'd run it for a week. Like, that was really neat, too. I was excited. So then after that, they sat for a little, and I'm like, well, I'm sitting on this. And I thought, well, people's attention span sucks. Right. So I cut them down to, like, a minute. And then I released, like, instead of nine, it was, like, you know, 30 of them. And I did it every week for a while. So there's a couple different, like, I guess, sort of lives of the prequels. So that might be also why it's kind of confusing. Yeah. And then, and then after we did the first one, and I think I released them like that, we shot, I think I, that's the season two, episode one with Derek. And just because I kind of wanted a conclusion and I wanted something just to, and plus I found this new location that I was just like, oh, it's going to be amazing. I got to shoot something here. And so we like did it with that. So yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to tangent on you. No, that's fine. I, you know, people can look for this stuff. I, I, again, it's trying to figure out like we were talking about TikTok and and the reason why I brought that up was because you're talking about well people want to watch it in 15 minutes but not anymore like literally no. you're down to 7 seconds it's such a weird world yes. because you have like podcasts and like you know Rogan is two and a half three yes. hours for a Joe Rogan podcast like, see, now I don't watch those, so I don't understand anybody sitting down and watching those. I assume most people listen Yeah, I don't listen to Joe Rogan, you know? and I don't watch it, but I yeah. think that's more along the lines of um, – it's weird because I think we're going back to, like, the 1920s because we're, we're listening to radio in that, in that aspect of it where I'm driving and I'm listening to a podcast or I'm folding laundry and I'm listening to a podcast. Everybody who I would talk to who are, you know, fine artists, they're drawing or they're, um, you know, painting – they're listening to yep. podcasts. 
These are yeah. things that they can do while they're living their life, as opposed mm-hmm. to committing to sitting in front of a screen and saying, and you know how much we have bombarded. I mean, we have so many. I, I can't tell you every day somebody's saying, oh, do you watch this show? I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I, I don't, can't even finish half the shows you're telling me to watch. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. Like there's, as a, as an, as a creator, there's a, I do miss, and I think, and I always say to this, like, I don't know your age exactly, but we're probably we're close. close enough. And our generation, I think, has had gone through the most transitions mm-hmm. because you look at like our parents, well, our parents really haven't made the transitions. They've, you know, most of them, you know, some of them have smartphones and this and that, but for the most part, like we're the ones that started with corded telephones, black and white TV. If you had one of the tiny black and white TVs, yep. remember those, like those were fat. Yeah. I remember like, my yeah. first color TV, which is weird. <laughs> so do I. I remember and, our family getting together and turning it on and watching like something in color. It was like, do you remember VCRs? Oh, yeah. Did, did you just rent them? We rented them at first. Uh, the VCRs? Like you, could to, you could go to a video store. And rent the them. weekend, you'd get a VCR and three movies or four movies. You know, it was like a pack. And I remember my dad, we were like, yeah, it was rainy Saturday. And we'd go do that. And back then, you, you know, you could only, there were only so many movies. Like, I was just explaining this to my son because, you know, they have Netflix now. And he can watch. Like, they bounce from series to series and binge it. Right. And I'm like, dude, I had one new Transformer cartoon a week yeah and then i had to just do whatever they forced me to watch right. at 4 30 when i got home from school for the next week yep. and he was just like no yeah you know and my parents didn't have cable so i never had cable growing up so it was even worse and but we've been through that transition we went through when there were 27 movies a year came out and so everyone knew even if i didn't see that movie i knew of the movie yes and I was always an acting geek. So I, and see, it's funny. I hated theater though. Like I don't like, I just napped in theater. I'm always like film and television. And I, I did the stuff in school that I had to do. Never musicals usually. Cause I, I, just, I was totally not into those and no offense. It's just a different discipline. Yeah. I know the most, I've worked with actors and actresses who are amazing and they can switch that on and off. I've auditioned people though, that are like real theater actors. They can't switch it. And you, you just can't, it's just, they don't have the other discipline. Right. And, and it's just such a different discipline. And for me, I never enjoyed it. I just didn't like, you know, I always felt like we beat it to death. By the time you performed it, I'm like, dude, let's get it over. Right. Where like independent film, it was, dude, if you had the script a week in advance, you were like, yeah. you know, and you'd get there and it was so like, you're just fresh and you're just like, boom, you know, and it's like, Hey, in this scene, your whole family's dead. And then the next scene, they're like, okay, in this scene, uh, yeah, like everyone's happy again, right. you know, like nobody died yet. And I've always thrived on that. So I was always like an entertainment weekly reader, like, and stuff like that. And I knew what movies were coming out. I knew this stuff. And I said to my wife recently, I'm like, it's so depressing. Cause even if I wanted to do that, you can't get your arms around at all the media that's out there right now. Like you just, I kind of miss that simpler time, you know? Like, I know. I, I, I honestly think we're going to go back to it. Um, I think that people are going to get sick of everything and look for a simpler time. And I think that's why going back to your We Are Lebanon, you know, I think people are going to start getting more closer with their communities. Uh, you know, and maybe I'm being optimistic. I don't know. I think uh, – it's hard to tell, but I know personally and people I talk to are just like, you know what? Like, I don't want you to go on a TikTok, honestly, <laughs> but 
<laughs> when you think about what you're trying to do, everybody says, well, that's the way to do it. And there are ways to make it happen on TikTok, but it's extremely time consuming, right? You got to be literally in their face. Const- I mean, it, and it all depends on when you get involved with a social media because forget about Instagram now. It's nearly impossible to get a footing there. So I don't understand some of it. Yeah. Like, I, not to be old, but there's some like Instagram, you can't really share, can you? You can just like. No, you can like, share. I have an Instagram for Diaconia. I have an Instagram. I have LinkedIn, Instagram, um, locals. Did you know like locals? I don't know if I know locals. Okay. That's a smaller one. It's an offshoot. Doesn't matter. So I have locals. Um, it's a cooler, small thing. And I kind of thought, well, maybe a big fish in a little sea. Like, I don't know. So far, not. Um, but I thought maybe catching something on the rise. Or like you said with TikTok, it's kind of like, did I, are you, where are you hitting it at? You know, are you too late? Right. Did you, did you hit the curve yet? And again, it, it comes down to how can you literally grab the attention of somebody in seven seconds or less, actually less than that. So you have to get them within that first second yeah. where they're swiping. Oh, wow. It's that difficult. Yeah. And I had done a horror story on TikTok uh-huh. that was supposed to be me just like I'm on TikTok. And I just did this ridiculous – it was last Christmas – and I said, oh, they, they're taking a body. Like it was literally my first sentence was like, they're taking a body from my neighbor. I don't know what happened. They said it was eaten. So then nice. that like blew up because I made this ridiculous. I was just joking walking my dog. <laughs> and then people start saying, what happened? Well, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. So I was like, oh, okay. So I started playing along that there's like everybody thinking there's a zombie apocalypse happening. Of course, it was 2020 and people are like, Oh my God! Not this now. First the murder bees and now zombies. You know <laughs> the murder bees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or murder hornets. Uh, so that really, really took off. But I learned a lot from it by understanding that it was literally the first second that whatever it is. Now, if you're trying to like get somebody to. You know, you're trying to spread positivity and something. You have to have something that says the word "you," like. How can you be happy in three seconds or less? Like that kind of thing. Like, but when it comes to a story, like I literally had one of the first openings was um, a body was fished from the the creek. What I didn't say. The other thing I said is I said the crick. Oh, nice. That pissed people off. Like, why is he calling it the crick? Because, you know, it's all over. So they're like, he's saying this wrong. And that causes, see, the way it works on TikTok is if there's engagement. Yeah. If people see it and comment, then it'll be pushed out to more people. And if it continues, it grows and grows from there. But if you do something and nobody's commenting on it, it just kind of disappears. Oh, okay. And see, like YouTube, to be honest, it's it's just one of those things. I was talking to a friend of mine that works for Google, and he's like, dude, the stuff you have on YouTube looks great. He's like, the production value looks great. He goes, but there's no views. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Tell me how to get views. And he's like, we got to tag it. I go, it is tagged. And he was looking. He goes, yeah, my son just started. Uh, he, he started making green screen videos with his Transformers mm-hmm. and Legos. Stop motion green screen. Yeah, that's video. great. It's really fun. It's really cool. So me and my wife were like, 
he said about something to do with them, yada, yada. And he now has a YouTube page where he puts them and we check it and make sure nothing, you know, like he's not getting crushed by weirdness or anything. But I'll be honest, the stop motion Lego YouTube community seems pretty cool. It's huge. Like yeah, it's good. it is good. And, and it's big. And, and, and it, honestly, like people generally, hey, this is really great. And so we're explaining to him how, like, you know, to, to yeah, how to interact with people positively, you know, and hey, then give them, go look at theirs, give them a compliment. Um, and it's, it's been fun, but he has like, like, like 10 times the, the, the views in his first month than I had in like forever oh, yeah. on my newest YouTube page. And I'm just like, but like I said to my wife, so I have, I don't know, so how to do the Creek, these are two things I don't know that you know about. Do you mind? No, you can, yeah, tell me. For just social media fun. Um, cause the thing is sometimes I know what works and I can kind of key on to stuff. And then other times it's funny what goes flat with social media. Mm-hmm. And one thing I did for the creek was I realized there was a lot of places had like like if you search ghost videos like people must just love looking up ghost. That's videos. true. Yeah. So I did a bunch of advertisements for the creek where it was hashtag real ghost video hashtag real ghost. And then what I did is I had people like hey I don't know what's going on and it was hokey and silly. And then I would put Billy you know the ghost from yes. the creek would be it would cut to Billy and then it would be like da na na and it would have the creek you know. And they actually made some traction. It was kind of fun. Um, and then, just for silliness, I made a real ghost video in New Jersey when we lived there. We found this ancient, I mean, it was a graveyard from, like, the 1800s or something. And it was a coal town that was, like, the coal ran out. And then there was just nothing there but this old graveyard. Right. So you had to hike, like, a mile and a half or something up to it. And I shot this corny video of... Um, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, documenting this, uh, these gravestones. I'm like, what's that over there? And then I set the, it down so I could do the um, plate shot. And then I had my wife walk through in, like, this flowy gown, like, way up behind some stuff. And that one got, like, a ridiculous, like, 50,000, 90,000, right. I don't know, I forget, a bunch of dumb views. So then I was like, ooh, well, what if I did a movie? I was like, and I had this whole thing figured out of it was a found footage piece. And remember that... Um, the Florida, the, 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 the apartment building that just, yes. Fell? Yeah. Okay. Well, this was before that. So I don't know if I'm psychic or if I made something happen, no, I hope not. shifted to meet, to make this work. But basically the footage comes from a apartment building that had all these mysterious things happen in Florida. But since then the whole thing collapsed and it's now like gone. And the security guard gave this, I think it's under, it was like video tech, um, Video Tech FL, I think it was under, and it still is. I think it's still on YouTube. Video Tech FL, um, and if you go there, I then went to a local hotel. I shot all this like security cam esque footage, and then I had like orbs because people like freaked over these orbs when you look it up. So then I I went and I I learned motion. I did, I'm not a big graphics guy that way. I learned motion at the time because that was this is probably 2012, 2013, right. somewhere in there. Motion was still hot. Yeah. I learned motion. I had these like orbs that would go through. I made it like green and I made it all like, and then I would do like, it said footage before footage after, you know? So the video guy was cleaning up the footage. Cause they said the footage would always get weird whenever something weird happened. It would, and you know, people ghost magnetism, yep. people say like that, honestly, between me and you, I think it was a pretty brilliant idea. And then I had this whole backstory, if I could get it to take off, of making a movie around it and interviewing, like a fake documentary, interviewing the people that were in that used to live there and, and, and relatives of people. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, if this takes off. So I did all these videos. 
they have over like three million views. Like the one video had like two million views wow. on it. And I took it to my producer in Philly and I'm like, dude, I got this video with like two million views. I mean, is that worth nothing? And I mean, and this was 2015. Right. So that, that's big. Like now, not as much now probably, but back then he was like, geez, yeah, it should be worth something. But again, then how do you, and where I've always failed as a filmmaker is just how do you capitalize on that? Like how do you, it never hit the right person. It never, you know, got to that. But I saw that trend and I was kind of like, ooh, this would be a cool idea, you know? Yeah. So I did that. And the other one I want to tell you quick, just because I love the idea. Is you good? Yeah. Okay, I'll hold you up. It's fun to talk film, though. I'm it sorry. is. Um, it is. I, I enjoy it. Uh, I had this idea for what if, because we were living, I forget what year this was, but we, uh, Twitter was, was bigger. It was like Twitter was on, like, it, it wasn't at its apex, you know, yet. Right. And it was taken off. And I was like, well, what if, because um, I'm always down for good government conspiracy. Yep. And I was like, so what if we had this person is tweeting from a government facility so they're not supposed to be doing this and they are concerned about the project they're on so i made up this girl it was amy something which i wasn't wise at the time the hashtag was save amy which at the time i didn't realize there was a lot of hashtags for that like i wasn't smart enough to like to research i wasn't savvy enough yeah Yeah, i didn't i should have got something original and everything ended with hashtag save amy and it started with her like hey i don't know about what we're doing here this is really kind of weird and then, so it gets, the, the, the tweets get more and more, like, urgent. And then, so she then, at one point, is like, hey, um, you know, the, the scientists are all dead. Like, they've killed everybody. Like, the guy she was working for has her, like, cordoned off in this facility, like, where nobody knows she's at. And she can only tweet, like, once a day. Otherwise, they'll find her, mm-hmm. you know, kind of concept. And she's like, hey, I'm going through his notes so she starts giving out like information of what they were studying and and so it's this whole like what like they're hiding stuff and like they had gotten all the scientists like this wide variety of scientists to figure out this thing but no one knew the whole thing so then she starts like putting out like pictures of his notes and and then the whole apex was going to be well, I use that word twice and I never use that word <laughs> anyway okay, sorry so the whole the pinnacle we'll go with there that one go. was going to be her um, well, she goes dark, like just you lose her, but she has gotten it out to like the, like different, like a, a, someone she trusts. And what I wanted to do was build it this way. And then you have a movie come out right. and the movies like this, like, you know, what you weren't supposed to know, you know, like somebody, and, and I had it like, you know, led up to, there was a professor that had it and he was working with this guy, but you know, no one could know who, because otherwise, and I was like, wow, this could be really brilliant if it took off. And, and actually, the story itself was they were researching, like, lineage. They had a guy that was specializing in lineage, and they had, um, you know, DNA, and they had all these different people. And basically what it came down to is that cancer, they realized that cancer was really just the fact that, and then oh, when someone came out with that movie, what was it, Prometheus or something? Well, that was it the... kind of similar. That was the... Pissed me off. Yeah, the prequel to Alien or whatever. Well, what was the one where they, like, supposedly, like, the aliens laced the Earth with DNA or something? It might have been something. Prometheus. It might have been. So I was doing this before that, but the whole thing was supposedly we actually, cancer is just the fact that we all have alien DNA, but overbreeding over time. And, like, the kings and queens interbred yeah. because they were actually had the highest alien DNA. They were actually from a descendants of the actual aliens. So that's why they kept interbreeding. But over time now... 
it's all gotten so small that the cancer is the alien DNA trying to save itself and replicate. So actually cancer is the, because we were actually like started from aliens. Right. And I was like, Oh, it just seemed like a fun, weird, bizarre. Like that was the big, like, woo at the end, you know, like cancer's alien DNA. And I was like, yeah, this would be cool. But they never got traction. Right. Like, the tweets never got traction. And I was just like, gosh, yeah, it is. It is me. a hard, that was a long story. I'm no, it's okay. But it is, it's definitely harder. Um, but, with di- diaconia, um, okay. let's talk about what that is. Okay. All right. What is it? All right. So diaconia comes from my kids watching Marvel movies. And I love Marvel. I grew up with – I have all the original Punisher magazines. Mm-hmm. I have all the original Wolverines that came out. My dad actually had every single Spider-Man except for, I think, four of them um, back in 19, say, 88. Mm. So he didn't have the number one. But he had like, like he had almost all of them, except four, and he sold them off and bought hang gliding equipment back in like the late eighties, I think. Wow! It was just before the movies came out, so it was the worst time ever, <laughs> probably. Like he probably could have made so much more money, but he would let us read those as a kid, and you know if we were careful, you know he had them all sleeved in the backs. Nice. I mean, it was you know, and and so I grew up with comic books. I love them. It's nothing against comic book movies. But there, it kind of came to me, I was like, you know, there's really this underserved sort of market in a way. Like, So my producers, like I told you, kept saying about comic books. You know, everyone's marketing, like, um, optioning comic books. Because why? Well, what I found now, and this kind of leads back to the whole, the world the way it is now. When we were, like, okay, so when stuff came out in the 80s and 90s, you got with the production company because the production company believed in you. They would start marketing you. They'd market the movie. They would get that. They would bring the following to you, right? Because they believed in what you were making. That's right. And then it kind of shifted, and now I think it's really more of they're looking for people that have a market already. That's right. They don't. They don't care. They don't want to build that. They they're like, well, I want something that already has a million people. That's right. You know? and that's where again social media and my crackpot schemes of girls texting from scientific places <laughs> and. You know, because you really have to bring an audience to them and they go, oh, someone wants to see this. Yes. And the thought hit me, well, there's a whole lot of people, secular and Christian, who believe in and know about, not even believe in, but know about, you know, Samson, that know about miracles, that know about the Red Sea getting parted, that know, you know, miracle like people got healed back in Bible times. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you made something that tapped into that as its foundation? So, like, people always say, is it a Christian series? And I'm like, no, because it's not preaching anything. It's not like, you know, God love Kirk Cameron. I mean, no offense, but his movies as a filmmaker, I'm always like, I get it. You know, like, when you watch them, you're like, okay, you have a point. You're trying to make that point. Right. I get your point. Where this isn't, is what is, it's based in the fact that, like, there's an awareness, a cultural awareness that these powers existed. And I kind of, so the way I wrote it, I love like the spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as like a spaghetti Western mixed with like manifest sort of mixed with like some, some other stuff. It's a jambalaya. Um, but so basically I have this one character who comes to town and, Oh, it's mixed with American horror story because every season, the one character comes to town, Ulima she has the gift of knowledge and of wisdom. So she's kind of, I described her to the actresses that I was auditioning for. She's a little Jedi-like. Okay. But she's not, it's not full Jedi-like. But so she has an intuition that's beyond anybody else's. She can kind of see through things better. But she comes to a town. 
she puts her team together. So she basically starts looking for people with other gifts. And as she puts her team together, then there's a bigger, you know, evil. There's something she has to tackle. And in this one, there's like a, the main line is there's a corrupt politician thing going on. There's a gang thing going on. And there's a couple little side stories, but it's mainly you're kind of like, well, she's trying to figure out like, well, what am I supposed to be tackling here? And so then the other people that have these gifts come into play as well. So someone has the gift of faith, which I thought when I was writing this, like, how do, what do you, what do you do with faith? Yeah. It just seems lame. But actually, he's my favorite because he's actually like a battery. So anybody with these other gifts, when they're around him, are like augmented greatly. And I just was like, you know, it's something my kids could watch. Like, my kids are watching all these Marvel movies. I personally am a Christian. You know, we go to church and do all that stuff. And I think it would be cool to do something that I'd like to watch. You know, I was honestly a big fan of Luke Cage. You know, I thought that was a great series. And now that wasn't, my kids didn't watch that. But, I mean, it was a thriller and, like, this is kind of a thriller. Like, well, what is she there to solve? Like, who is this person? And people get introduced as, as you go. And it's like a 12-episode run season. And then after, hopefully, there's a good twist at the end. There's supposed to be, if the writer did it properly. And then at the end of that, then she leaves, goes to a new town. And the next season, it's a whole new deal. Right. And so are you, are you planning on shooting all of it at once and then releasing it? I'm hope what I'd like to do with this is okay. So what I've learned is the reason Twelve Bells was a two million. Well, it's supposed to be like a three to five million dollar budget. Is I learned you can't make any money like with and not not make money. And you know this, I'm sure as soon as I said it. But just to clarify, excuse me, not to make money. Like I want to hit the lottery and make me a right. lot of money. But you can't make money to pay your bills and pay for your film and, and do things properly. Right. On the super low end. It's just, it's not going to happen. Unless lightning strikes, you know. And, and you know, the Blair Witches and, and the Paranormal Activities are, are really a lightning strike yeah, those situation. Are, yeah. You know, in The Creek, what I realized I did wrong was I made a real movie. Like, everyone was kind of like, so it's Blair Witch, huh? I'm like, no. no. I'm like, it's like The Creek was supposed to be a thriller, a real movie. Hopefully you watched it and went, ah, oh, it's a good watch. You know, I like that movie. Um, it wasn't a gimmick. I call like you know the Blair Witches a gimmick movie, right? You know, and and my ghost well, you know, back movie. on the original podcast I did, I interviewed the marketing uh, woman behind the Blair Witch. Oh, really? Yeah, really? and we talked, and it was funny that you say that because I said to her, like, "What did you know?" She's like, "We knew it all." We knew like the entire gimmick beforehand, like you know, at, yeah. they planned every little detail down to like the, you know, having that website and, and it wasn't like this sort of like, Oh, a lucky strike in that way because it was a gimmick. They knew it was a gimmick and they planned it as a gimmick and you know, but then they had the lightning strike that it worked, that it worked. Right. And and you know, what's interesting is it wouldn't have worked if they just came out as a film and said it was a film because it was not a good film. I'm sorry. It's not a good film. I know a dude in college that came out when I was finishing up Millersville, and this dude, or, or it was right before that, and he had the little wicker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the little dude on him, and I was just like, oh, I hate you. Like, because honestly, I hated that film. I just, I, I it, again, it wasn't a good film, like you said. It really, it was. If I had to, if I had to look up that girl's snotty nose oh my one God. more time, I was like, dude, I can't take this as a filmmaker. But in fairness, I, I hate reality shows. Like, Me I too. I can't watch The Office. Like people are always like, "Oh, it's a great show." I can't stand this. Like it drives me nuts. Like I want—I don't know. When I sit down and watch a movie, I want to watch something 
I feel. I don't well, know, yeah, I don't you don't want to be aware like of the camera, and a lot of those things make you completely aware of the camera and things like that. And just, it works for some people, and, you know. And you know I think, I mean? like, but honestly, what what really made that movie strike was that some people bought that this was a real found footage. Oh, I had so many people that believed. Yeah, it. I remember people, and I kept going to people. Dude, there's no way this is real, you know. But also at that time, they came out at a perfect time yes. with the internet where it was. Yes. And like, so I said it was, it was no. all planned. They knew about the internet. They they knew everything that they were planning ahead of time, and it worked. They, they you know, and you know, everybody tried that formula since, and it just. Do you, okay. So with that in mind, though, do you want to hear about um, an amazing, funny thing that didn't work? Sure. Okay, real quick. My first job, I had to hand in all my final papers a month early. So I got contacted by somebody. They knew I wanted to do film. And they were like, hey, there's a film shoot in Cornwall, which is right near where I live. Actually, well, Millersville. It was like 25 minutes from Millersville. And it's called WatchUsDie.com. Oh, yeah. I, I remember like, this. Do, I? do you remember? Yeah, I do remember you guys doing this. To their credit, it was totally ahead of its time. Like, they shot 35. They had, like, the one actress has gone on to do quite a bit of stuff. But it was, they, there was some money there. Um, they rented this crazy old mansion, and the whole thing was that it was a voyeur dorm. Yes. Which back in that time period, so I graduated in 2000, so that was like, you know, there was those things on the internet, these voyeur dorm type stuff. And so they had shot a bunch of weird B-roll voyeur dorm footage, and their plan was it was called something else. I forget the original name. And then they were going to have somebody die, and then the website switches to watchusdie.com, and it was that was the gimmick. And they, too, they had it all planned out. The lightning didn't strike, though. You know what I mean? Like, it just... Yeah, you never know. And it's funny that way because, and again, I'm not poo-pooing or, like, you know, crapping on um, Blair Witch. I mean, obviously, they did something right and and it hit, you know, which was amazing. But, yeah, I remember, and I remember at the time when they were shooting it, again, I was just the boom op. It was the first time I ever did it. I got yelled at here and there. (laughs) (laughs) But but the, the idea itself, I mean, it, it did. It was like, well, it could work, you know. Like I don't know, yeah. you know, will people get into this? So it's that type of stuff's always really interesting to me. So but yeah, I'm sorry, I that's okay with diaconia. Yes. Uh, so I saw the clip that you had the priest in the foreground. You had the the man on the balcony in the background. Yeah. Really nicely shot. Thanks. Yeah. Red. Yeah, red's beautiful. We'll an, but it's an MX one. Uh, it's okay. It looks beautiful. Right, you got the the stained no, glass so in the excited. background. The lighting is really nice. Um, is it? So I'm I'm trying to figure out. I get the idea with the underlying miracle magic, all that stuff. Yeah. But we are we have a priest. Is it a? Is it like you said? It's not a Christian movie, but is it a? Is it supposed to be? There's the Catholics are involved, or it could be the born again Christian. It could be Jewish, like it, or is it specifically within the realm of one of those religions? It's not really in the realm of anything specifically. No. Um, again, the, the Olima, as of now, we don't trace back to like what her origin is. Right. Um, the people that have the powers all have a connect. Like we have this old Jewish guy, like like that. I I was in New York for ten years. Yeah. And he's that class, Oy, let me tell you something, <laughs> you know, kind of old Jewish right. guy, like stereotypical, but yet amazing. Um, and we're going to have a lot of different, different people. It was all, they're all, they have to be people of faith because the gifts of the spirit, if you are from a traditional Christian standpoint, it's something like the, your more evangelicals believe can still happen. You know, they believe people can have the gift of healing. They also believe it's not a lifelong thing. And like in the Bible, some people had a gift for a short period. And that's why I think this is kind of cool because... 
um, you know, it's something a lot of other people are only kind of realizing they have because it just happened. So then Ulima, who's like the knowledge and wisdom person, has to put her team together. And some of the people are kind of like, I don't even know what you're talking right. about. You know, like, like you're high, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, so there's a challenge there as well. And but it's based it's really just based on those principles. And now I have like and plus what I did is and I just think that I just liked it. So each episode starts with um, a Bible verse. And I, I kind of went Frasier. Like, you know how Frasier would yes. have those, like, you know, things. And the Bible verse connects somehow. It's more, though, loose in the, at the end of the episode, kind of like, I'm hoping and I think it's more of an O. Like, it's not like a, oh, this is like, oh, well, that's what the episode's going to be. Like, it's just they're more loosely connected. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like that feeling to it. And, and I wanna, I'm hoping as of now to give it a more gothic feel. You know, like the church scene. Like, I got this amazing church in town. Right. And and it has that gothic look to it. Well, you know what it now? felt like? Just even, and this is a from just that clip, but it felt a lot like Stephen King's The Stand. See, I've never seen that. Uh, well, okay. not necessarily talking about, honestly, either one. Yeah, yeah. But the idea, if you ever read The Stand, um, you know, it definitely is a good versus evil, a collection of people. You know, like, so it it has... Stephen King has this sort of Western type thing. I, that's what I kind of trying to say. And like it has when I'm watching mm-hmm. your thing, I definitely felt like this Western cool. sort of bigger epic, you know, yeah. spiritual type thing happening in the the scene. Um, cool. Not necessarily pointing out, oh, it's the same story as the stand because it's not. Uh, it's no, just I, that that vibe, that sort of like you know cool. wild west, uh, you know, religious, uh, you know conflict yeah no and i know of the stand that came out i think more when i was i'll be honest so i did have a very um religious upbringing right and i think the stand came out when i was kind of in that phase where i was like i went to church enough <laughs> it's like and i knew and i knew it was an allegory i by my by my understanding it was an allegory to the end times yes, or something yes. like that and I was just like, remember at that time, I was just like, I don't need any more of that, you know. And I just never, I never watched it or anything. Um, but it's a compliment. I'm, I'm glad you, you think it looks even any close to anything that that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but what would you? So my question is, as the creator of this, yeah, and being a Christian, you have two mm-hmm. roads basically. One, you yeah. could go down that. And, and this is not – neither one of them is bad. I, I almost think this first one is a really good way. But saying I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going after that Christian audience, right? You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. going to give them the Marvel Universe for them, yeah. right? And, and here we go. It's now like you know Jesus Universe, right? Here we go. Yeah. And, and, and be okay with that. And I think there's an audience there that's, that's great. Or you could say I'm going to go sort of along the line of – not being so so much about the Christian part, mm-hmm. right? More about the underlying message part, and trying to get reach out to everyone. And and I, the only reason I'm asking is, um, what do you feel like? What would your ideal situation be for this this uh, diaconia to reach that sort of like very niche? Christian community, which I think it's there. Uh, I think they would love it. Or as you've seen, Netflix is doing something called like Midnight Mass now. 
which is more along. It's a very popular show that just came out, but it's more along the lines of a Catholic story. Okay. Right. And you know what's interesting? The Catholics got super far behind The Exorcist back in the day. <laughs> and it was like, here's a movie that's like, what? You know, but they looked at it and they said, look, we believe in this stuff. Yep. This this will scare you into the church. Oh, okay. you know, yeah. I mean, and it makes sense when you think. So about what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like as far okay. as Diaconia would go. And that's, I've had this discussion with a bunch of people and I could totally be missing the mark. Um, and, and that, cause a lot of people do say like, pick one, you know, like you should definitely pick one way or the other. And it could be something that if I can get enough traction, so, you know, and I think, you know, the Diaconia, what I'm shooting now is the sales trailer. Yeah. You know, I'm really trying to shoot a sales trailer. So then, because again, I you just if I want to make it and make it right and pay bills and eat, I, I need to get a budget. You know, yeah. and I need to get some kind of backing from a producer from a production company. Right. So the clips, the good clips, I'm tagging Netflix, I'm tagging you know Hulu and all that stuff on. Hopefully to get somebody's attention. Because um, again, I'm pathetic, and that's how I do things. No, I, that's <laughs> not know? pathetic There's at all. That's that not are, pathetic. That so that's smart. No, and I don't mean that. I, I'm hoping it's smart, but you know, I do know people like just, I'm trying to make that connection. But now I always go with this. I do think there's a third road that's arguable and I like to call it the Creed road. <laughs> so you remember the band, the Creed? Well, Creed yeah, I, I know the band. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember when they were out, there was always those discussions. Oh, they're a Christian rock band. Oh, they're not a Christian rock band. And all these people would argue. And I used to love it cause I didn't care. And, but it would be great to throw gas on that fire one way or the other. Um, but basically they'd have that argument. And at the end of the day, he did have that religious upbringing and he brought a lot of that with him. I mean, realistically, they weren't a Christian rock band, but they really did bring in both realms because they were Christian rock enough that there were people, I think, on the religious side that were kind of like, they could relate, you know, even if it was just to the fact of his, you know, like him talking about or the kind of things that happened growing up that way, even though he wasn't maybe complimentary all the time to it. And then on the secular side, you had, it was enough secular that you brought those people in as well. Like Creed was really a giant tent on both sides. And my thought with this was, if you can take that Creed route where, you know, because again, if you go after the Christian audience, you've really got to lean into it. And I find that stuff to be then not inclusive to seculars, to people, if you want to say secular people or just non-Christians, because it's too preachy. It is, there is a, there is that, like, you, you can just read in, you know there's a motive. Where with this, when you read, like, the treatment for this and when you read stuff, I actually wrote the first episode mainly because, so I had the treatment, it's all ma- it's all mapped out, I got everything, you know, here's what's happening in each episode. But because the treatment's kind of focusing on the main events, it really does sound heavy like religious. Right. And I was like, I was like, man, but it's not. So I wrote the first episode just so people could read it and go, Oh, because it's really that it's set with, this as a background, but there is nobody at the end of the day. Like, and if he knew Jesus, that wouldn't happen, <laughs> you know, and it's not making fun of that. Right. But I, I do think there's a road in the middle, that creed road. And also I remember, and I don't know. Let me pause yourself. you for one second. Cause my battery's low. I want to just grab my charger. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. You'll go out in a second.
<laughs> All right. The cat's been good. Oh, uh, yeah, she's like sleeping on the ottoman. I was going to say, I haven't seen her at all. Yeah, now she's, she's well, she's awake now but because I got stood up. I disturbed her piece. <laughs> well, no, but but the thought, just real quick, was, like, the Mandalorian. Like, I, you got the poster back there, it looks like, or something. Oh, uh, it's a good... Are you it. talking about that? It looked like it when the light shifted, yeah. So no, it's I guess sort it's of... That's, that's interesting, because I think the artwork's close, but that's the Road Warrior. Um, oh, is it? But oh, I'm wow. a huge Mandalorian fan, so what's the connection there? Well, no, I do think there's this road of, like... Like, the Mandalorian, my kids can watch it. But it's good for like I can watch it. My kids can watch it. There's not a lot of language in it, you know. Like I don't think you know the '70s was that gritty. Everything had to yes. be gritty. The language went off the charts. And then we revisited that with the Quentin Tarantino movies, where it had to be as wild as possible. And to be, I, I always enjoyed both sides of it though. Like I also like movies where you get to the end of it, it was a great movie. You enjoyed it, and you're like, I think they said like three swear words in that whole movie, you know. And it's kind of like. Well, that's kind of nice, you know? Well, you know what's and an interesting one I've always felt that way about? I think it was a turning point in film for, like, to me, and it's Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> this is a movie that children love, that kids love, that adults love, that didn't have any swear words, that was just so wholesome, <laughs> but so good. I don't know about the, the creators really didn't go anywhere after that. But, I mean, I just think that's a great movie and it's a great example that you can have – you don't have to play to that to have an awesome movie. Well, I think if you have a good story and a concept yep. – and, again, if the tent's big enough – and that's where I'm – you know, I'm not – I'm not, you know, totally not, like, taking a dump on Kirk Cameron's movies. I think I, I has a niche. Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, he has a niche and he's and he's he's – playing toward he picked a road you know like you were saying right. you got your road. yeah he picked his road my problem is with that road again it i think it leads to poor storytelling because you know what you're trying to say before you ever see right. the movie and is that know. is that along the lines of like willie ames bible man do you oh, i've never seen you never seen bible man i mean i know who willie ames yes is. you oh, did yeah, yeah i did i do know now that you're saying it oh, so i've never it, watched him though. yeah maybe take a look at it Okay. Uh, I don't know his... what you would think of it, but yeah, Willie Ames is a superhero. Okay. He's Bible man. All right. Um, yeah, he was you know, Scott Bayo's best friend back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Is he teaching people? Is that yeah, like... I think it's along the lines of Kirk Cameron type thing where it's like it's definitely like uh, a message and you know you're getting that message. Uh, but I, I haven't seen it lo- except for artwork. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to look it yeah. up. But yeah, and see, that's my – and again, I mean, I think there's a place and a purpose for those. But I'm really hoping that Creed route, I think, where it is something that can appeal to anybody because, like, the first season, I can tell you this. there's At the end of the season, there's no message. There's no, like, at the end of it, there's no moment where they – you go, oh, you know, if only I found Jesus or if only that man found Jesus. Right. You know, like, it's really – and I'm not mocking it in the least. It's just it doesn't make for credible storytelling. Where Have you seen The Chosen? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. The Chosen, look it up. All right. It's the model they use to make this is amazing. Like, it's something no one ever did it this way. They did, like, a pay-it-forward model. So, like, they put them out there, and then it was like, hey, you know, you got to see it for free because these people paid money. Like, help other people see it for free. Now, The Chosen is straight-up biblical, but it's not preachy because it is biblical. It's literally like Jesus' story. Right. So it's a whole other model than the Kirk Cameron stuff because the Kirk Cameron stuff is like, Hey, I'm going to show you a movie, but realistically, it's kind of a big, you know, a big, in my opinion, selling point. His is not. I'm not sure. Is 
is he the one with the um, what's that series of books by Tim LaFay Le, or is it? Oh, what's it? What is yeah. it? Um, the End of Days one. It's based on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've never seen any of those, but yeah, it's based all on the end. Oh, um, wait. I know, oh, it's like right I know it's. I'll tell you, this getting slightly less young thing is miserable. I know, right? On my, on my memory. I know. Um, I, I agree. See it. But it's it's definitely like the end times, and it's like the it's, it's a whole end times. Yeah, it series. starts with the um, r- the uh, begins with the R rapture. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, but what is that called? That's God, gonna that's going to bother me too. Until I get on the Googler, I'm afraid to mess anything. So, up how would you compare Creed to Striper? Nice. Okay, so Striper was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Striper. Uh, well, I think I they might take offense to that. They are horrible. I mean, t- to me, to me, they were horrible. My brother was a big Striper Petra fan. I was Petra. Not. Yeah, I that's was, another one. Yep. I was always more on alternative. Like I listened to a group called The Choir, which I love them. No. Um, and to this day, I'll still I'll still listen to them. They were like an alternative Christian music, but again, they too weren't. You know, like Striper and your Petra tended to be more like I, I can't talk for Striper because to be honest, I couldn't understand anything they said anyway. But didn't like, they do um bang. Honestly? That song Honestly, that became a super big eighties hit. It's piano. Yeah. Honestly, I believe in you. Do you so it's a song so anyway, I, I think it's a great song. I love the song. But the point is, is that Canadian that said just replace God with baby in like all the Christian yes, songs. Yes, so it, it, it's it. one of those songs where it could be talking about Jesus or just or just your, your lover. Yeah, like someone you're it. in love with, and yeah. that's why it. I don't remember sw- that one. What's that? I don't remember. You that listen one. to it. I bet you'll be like, ah, oh, now I know. I mean, I'm not doing it justice, but the beginning's just yeah. piano. It's like da 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 da. I'll have to check it out. But you're saying like more like an Amy Grant. Mm, yeah, like, is I guess. that more applicable? Hey Siri. I mean, she's play honestly by Striper. Honestly by Striper now playing. No, no, it's funny. I would have think I this was huge. I mean, now friends are friends forever by Michael W. Smith. I'm on that. Dude, my brother never played that. <laughs> yeah, it's their Sorry. most favorite famous song. Uh, hey yeah, Siri, I don't stop. know that. Hey Siri, stop. Yeah, that's like their. I remember um, in high school, my friend was an amazing uh, pianist, and he would play it, and I would just. It, I, it's not my range at all, but I would sing right, right. falsetto because it was the funniest thing ever, just to be able to sing that high because he gets up there. Oh, does he? Yeah, but no, I mean that's no, kind of I what think- I, I think you're you're suggesting something like. There's a song that I can listen to and enjoy the message, enjoy the song, not necessarily feel like I'm being preached to. Uh, right. Right. And I think that's like sort of the musical version of what we're talking about with like Diaconia is there's a message, but it's not going to hit you over the head. I hope you enjoy the ride. Well, and the message is more, it's, honestly, I won't even say, and, and I, maybe this is good and bad, but like there is no actual message other than. It's based in these biblical prophecies. Okay, yeah, that makes based sense. Based in these things that you know. So, like, when I think of the first season, it, there's nothing at the end of the day that I would think, like, that I'm trying for you, say, say, like, 
just let's just say like you're a secular person. You're, you're I am. not a Christian. Okay. And I'm just like, well, at the end of the day, I hope they realize this. Like, there's nothing like that. So like, you just want to have day, you have a biblical playground that you're playing in. And I think at the end of the day, the win is in my mind, okay, as a Christian, say if that's my point of view, which isn't like I didn't write it this way, but from my point of view, having people say such as yourself who maybe aren't as familiar with this stuff, having other Christians, a lot of Christians don't believe in the the gifts of the Spirit right. in a lot of ways. Like that's not something like a lot of religions and stuff are kind of like, eh, you know, voodoo, you know, kind of thing. Right. But like most people will accept that biblical times that stuff happened. So having just people watch this and kind of go, oh, that's really cool, you know, and like being introduced to something like that, I think that's like a huge win, you know, like that would just be neat, you know, and I'd like to watch something that wasn't like a dude gets bitten by a radioactive spider or, you know, like this or that. And and like I was talking to the one producer I have on board is actually um, he does the music at a church and, and that's the wrong way to put it. He has a band called the Neighborlies, which is really cool. And, and he's not they do secular and, 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 and like really have a great feel to their music. It's him and a, him and a woman. And and he's on board. And like he always says, and he's right in a sense to a lot of people. This is just myth like Thor. Right. Like other things like, you know, Greek gods. It's just a myth that it's based in. If you're a Christian, you might happen to believe in that. Right. You know, but for other people, well, these are myths, you know. And that's kind of my point. Like you said, I think I like that phrase. It's, we're playing in a playground that people know on both sides of that aisle. Yeah. And and the point is to have that audience, I hope, is a big selling point to Christian distributors or even like a Netflix, you know, to bring something in that can have that audience. Because like a manifest, I don't know that manifest. Now, I haven't seen it. My wife watched it. There was parts of it that annoyed me. And I was kind of like, yeah, did you watch that at all? I don't think so. It got canceled. I think it was supposed to be like a seven series like a limited run seven season thing. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's like a fun thrillery type of show. Um, it had a great cast to it and it was definitely a, it, it, there's, there's undertones, but I don't know why, like there's no preaching undertones. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like they're connecting it to things. And see, I always like that stuff too. Like I always like when things connect biblically to things for more of an interesting, you know, more of like a, Ooh, that's kind of cool. Like, I don't know. So what if, do you find, is it hard for you to watch Thor if you're a Christian and seeing a false god? Or are you able to separate that and be like, this is just a, a mythology story that I'm, I'm watching a movie based on it? No, I think all Christians in general, it's entertainment. Yeah, it's just, you know, or like, what were those with the crazy movies where they did them all on the Greek gods recently? It was oh, yeah, like the Olympus. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Percy Jackson. Not, no, I mean, right. That's, a, that's just, you know, myth. You know, and you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool what they did with that, you know. And that's what I'm thinking the secular side of this will be. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard that people had miracles. Right. In the day. Wow, this is really neat. You know, and, and again, I think if you don't try to learn somebody something, you know, I ain't trying to learn you nothing. Right. Like, if you're really just trying to tell a great story based in this world, if you want to look at it like from the exorcist point of view, like from when the Catholics with the exorcist right. point of view. Hey, all these people just got introduced to something that maybe they haven't ever thought about in a certain way. You know, is it going to make you personally go be like, I got to find a church. Maybe I can get the power of healing. <laughs> well, no. I mean, like, you know, it's totally not right, but it's going to give you something to think about. Right. It might give you some pause again, more of like an introduction to something, but yet at the same time, all right, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I would say from my point of view and, uh, you know, as someone who isn't a believer of anything, I would say 
I still love those stories. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I could watch, like, honestly, The Exorcist, I don't believe in those things, but I, it's one of my favorite horror films, right? I love that yeah. movie. Um, I like watching anything that brings that sort of religious aspect of, like, this belief versus not, you know? Um, yeah. If it's well done, I don't care. Like, and I, you know, if you're going, like you said, Bible man's not my cup of tea, but had they done what you're talking about, I would probably be more apt to say, okay, I want to sit and watch this because I love those playgrounds. You know, I love that environment. I love those stories. I love the Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories. I mean, there's that Mm -hmm. whole thing where, um, is it Peter and what's the magician's name? And he's floating above the city and they're comparing their magic and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's like, there are some ama- amazing stories that if you were to take that and put it in a modern time, like you're talking about, I would, I would sit down, I'd put your, I'd give you my money. And, and that's, and thank you. No, that's awesome to know. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I think it, it's that I, I think to some degree, a lot of religious, like Christian film or just any kind of like Christian or not even Christian theological films, they, they kind of, in some ways treat, I think, viewers as either they're pitching you or you're too stupid to realize they're pitching you. You know, like they kind of think people aren't going to get it. Like, you know, like, well, we can totally do this and they'll never know. Right. You know, like, like, and, and where I think, and you hit the nail on the head, if it's well done and if it's not something that's trying to treat people like they don't get the fact that I'm trying to give them a message on X, Y, and Z, I think you're going to go a lot further. Like you're going to you're going to make inroads with people. And again, the whole point of this series is not to convert anyone. Yeah. But I think you'll you'll bring open up your audience to those people like yourself that that are like, "Oh, wow." You know, and again, and I keep saying to people, so many people like you said yourself, you don't believe in anything, okay? Like atheist, yeah, agnostic. Yeah. Atheist. Okay. So, you don't believe it, but I, I keep telling people with this project, the reason I think it could be a big project is if it's done well, I have you as an audience. Like I have people like you because again, if it's done well and I'm not preaching at you, you know, these stories, you know, stories probably I don't even know that maybe when you heard somewhere along the line stuck in your brain you right? Know, and you're like, wow, that's a cool story. Cause dude, there's a lot of stories in the Bible. You know, we all know like the fishes story, you know, feeding the masses, you know, people know those, but there's a lot of other stories too. Right. That people are like, wow, you know, that's really cool. Yep. And I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's a story really which big. is interesting that uh, nobody brings up, but um, when Jesus is crucified, all the bodies from the grave come out of the ground and it's basically a zombie apocalypse, you know, like there, nobody discusses that. And there's no like, you know, like, Oh, that's weird. You know, like, right. Yeah. Like, like but no, it's uh, there, it's there in the Bible, you know? And it's like, say that everyone came out of the ground, you know, like you're, like you said, but it's like, what? Like you just kind of, that's been glad. Like I guarantee you, if, if you talk about that, someone is going to Google that story and they're going to go look it up and they're going to research it. And whether that has nothing to do with whether or not they get converted, like you said, but it is introducing them to a world which they might not be familiar with, which is fun. Right. And that's what I think. Yeah. Like it's just, and, it's, and it's also something new. To be honest, I've just seen so much. You know, and you, like we've said, it's so, so oversaturated. And there's, I've never seen anything that does this. And that's the old story. What is it? Show me something I've seen before, but different. Yeah. You know, like that whole thing. And that's where I think this is a big tent. 
that we we have people that are familiar but not familiar. So we can surprise them. We can bring something new to it. And they're like, ooh. And even just real quick to give a, a, a plug to something I like, there's a, a podcast called Bible Stories. It's just called Bible Stories. It's these two dudes. They're like, I don't know. I think they're pastors in like their mid, early 30s or something, late 20s. Okay. Dude, they're goofy. They tell Bible stories. And they're, they're just, that's all. They just tell Bible stories. And it's really cool because as someone that grew up in the church, left the church for a long time, came back to it, they tell a lot of stories. I'm like, what? You know, like you saying about the, the dead. You yeah. Know, they tell stories that some of them you're like, wow. Well, you know what's interesting? Like, I did not know that. Back in the day, when I first met Jason, he yeah. entered his horror film. It was um, Midnight Sun. Oh, yeah. He yeah. entered that into that my one. festival. I had a Philadelphia Video Fest, it was called. Uh, cool. 2003, that's when it was. He entered it, Jeez. and he won Best Horror. Um, but we also had an animation section, and somebody did an animation of a Bible story. And oh, it's wow. the one where Elijah goes into town, and, and he's mocked for being bald. Do you know this story? Oh, I don't. No. I, I, it, I'll be honest. My brain, and you'll relate, works as a Commodore 64 computer. Oh, my God. Not that your brain works. Mine's the same, pretty bad. Relate with Commodore sixty fours, and it's it, it's literally when people say stuff like five minutes later, it slowly file gets. Yeah, to you it, know what's like, that's the, I, someone my friend. We were at uh, the Monster Mania convention. We were walking around, and I said, you know what? The part about aging that sucks is not what's happening; is that you're aware that you used to be able to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish right now. Like I, there, like, I know this was not a hard thing for me to talk about in the past, but now it's the most difficult thing, and I still haven't thought of what that series is called. You know, like, it, that's the uh, worst part is being able – if I didn't know what I'm missing. On that. Yeah. You know? No, no, yeah, if you didn't know that if, – if you were used to yeah. this. Yeah, no, it, it, like you said, it, it's – and my wife's been saying it lately. She's like – uh, and I'm like, well, at least it's not just me. I'll be honest. I'm always like early alls onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's not something, you know, that's pretty. No. And I'm like, man. And thankfully, people like yourself and my wife, they'll be like, because I've listened to some of your other stuff. I, I'm not a stranger to anxiety issues. <laughs> so, like something weird happens. And I'm like, it's early on. Has oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the big one. It's you know? right. I'm like, it's right. Oh, man. So, so thankfully, the, people talk The Bible story was really well animated. But it basically, the guy's going into town and these kids are mocking him for being bald. And they're like, yeah. bald head, bald head. And yeah. he, he's like, I curse you, children, in the name of the Lord. And it's totally Old Testament, this story. So he get, yeah. there's these two little bears, well, two bears, in the, in, and they, he curses them. And the bears become crazy, and they eat the children for cursing. Well, I got to look this <laughs> up. It's That's such amazing. a – yeah, just look up, uh, um, you know. Yeah, Elijah. Yeah, Elijah and the bears or something like that. You'll yeah, see the story, but it's the anim. So what was really cool is like we were just talking about. They took a story yep. that people are not really aware of existed in the Bible, right. but they managed to say, okay, we're not just going to tell this story. We're going to animate it mm-hmm. and make it so ridiculous. Like the animation just makes it laughable that you got, they had these bears and they're just like, <laughs> oh, look at these berries. And all of a sudden they're like, you know? like it was such <laughs> an amazing animation yeah. that revealed something I never knew existed. Oh, cool. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go check this out. I got to go read this. I got it. This can't be real, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's, 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 and that's, that's kind of the point to it. Cause even the Bible verses in the beginning, none of them are meant to be, it is just supposed to hopefully at the end you link it, you know, you're kind of like, oh, cool. But maybe that sparks something with somebody. Maybe, he's yeah. like, maybe someone's like, that doesn't say that. And they look it up. And it I does. Mean, as a Christian, 
that would be a win. Yeah. And I do think, I think like places like um, people of faith and organizations of faith, again, they try to go hard. You know, they really think, I think people tend to underestimate the effect of just kindness of just, mm -hmm. just meeting people, just interacting with people, right. you know, getting out there. And then people along the line go, oh, dude's pretty nice. Like, I wonder, you know, and, and they find out, oh, well, maybe you're with this organization or something. Right. You know, it's like, wow. I think that goes a long way with changing people's maybe hearts and minds. Right. The hard sell. And again, you know, you know like, what? You're not in the business of being on the pulpit. You're in the business to entertain. And if and it happens, what, yeah. if, if it happens that there's a, you know, a Christian way to entertain that you can wake up in the morning and look at yourself and be like, I'm proud of that. And I'm happy about it. Yeah. That's really what it matters. That's really what counts. And it's, you know what? Thank you. I, it's funny. I haven't thought of it that way, but I think that is a lot of it for me. Like I, I still want to make stuff, but even if you look at the Creek, there was hardly any swearing in that, you know, there were some shits, hells and dams thrown around in there, which I think are pretty much those lower you know, like I always say to people, so this is just a random side note to me, those are gateway words because I found like over time, like dude, language for me has always been a, uh, I enjoy creative language. So that's something I've, I work on, like not, um, giving in some of those urges to use creative. Well, words. yeah, I honestly find, so I personally don't swear a lot, but I don't have, yeah. it's not for reasons that you might not swear. Right, right. I just don't because it, I just have, well, probably it is because my parents would have killed me if I was, you know, when I was a kid. So that probably has something to do with it. I would have my mouth literally washed out with soap. Um, but I, I'm, I love language, as you know, as well. And to me, if you're going to use it, it should be in the right area, the sentence, you know what I mean? And when I watch movies that have it over the top of it or too much of it, it takes me out of the story. Yeah. Right, it loses effect. Too. Right, yeah, it, it loses its effect. It takes me out of the story. It's like you're just doing this because you think it's what you're supposed to be doing. But not everybody I walk around is f this, f this all the time. Hardly, you know, like in the real world. Yeah, it's not when somebody is like the, that. I'm like that annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, because it's too much. Yeah, I'm just like uh, we um, in the creek. I literally didn't put any f bombs in it because. I knew the actors were going to take liberties. I just, you knew, I knew as an actor, like as people and as a director, I like to let people take ownership. I like actors to like, show me, I always say to people, show me what you got. Like, let's see what you think. And then we'll go from there because I, I like to see, because actors will surprise you. If you have a good actor or actress, they'll pull things out that as a writer, even you're like, Oh wow. Like that, that's good. You know, yeah. like that's that there's a level there. I didn't realize was there. So yada, 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 the, the, the F bombs in the Creek, I think there's two or three. It's all fill-ins where the actor just was like, Wah! and they, they hit it. But it also, at that point, it grabs you because you didn't hear it the whole time. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's so and, true. And it's, and it's purposeful. Yes. You know, you're like, when they say that, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and that's so it's yes, I feel the same way in a lot of ways. I, I think it's overused. Like, you know, Tarantino does what he does and that's what he's known for. But a lot of times like Pulp Fiction, the first time I tried to watch that, I was one of the people that I didn't like it. I just I got halfway through it and I'm like, dude, it's just nothing. But it was so much. Well, like, I, I was you just, know, it's interesting. You know, I did like, like Pulp Fiction when I first saw it. I went and saw it like week after week. I went and saw it. But I will say I agree with you in the way that the worst part about Tarantino's movies is Tarantino. <laughs> like, 
Right. If he, especially like he gets to a point where he puts so much of his dialogue in, in the way he writes, that if he was to take half of that out, the movie would be in so much better. Like in Death Proof, I don't know if you saw that, it was the Grindhouse double yep. feature. There's yeah. an entire, let's sit around the table with all these women talking about films. and blah. It's basically Tarantino talking to himself, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, literally, if you took yeah. that out of this movie, I would have enjoyed it 10,000 times more. You are the worst part of your movies. When you get to, I'm going to start hearing him talk. And again, yeah. with his language and the way he talks, is like, you're... You're just basically, you know, well, you you're praising character. yourself. It's very, very egocentric, like, when he gets to that point. And I'm not saying, you know, I do, I do appreciate that he has a signature. Most directors yeah. today do not have this ability where you can just see something and know it's a Tarantino film. But I also yeah. would say, you know what, like, if he would take out 50% of his dialogue... I'm sure, like, any fan of him is going to be shooting at me because of that, but I, I do think he talks too much. Well, no, I, I also think sometimes his, what I think you're saying too, is the characters lose their own voice yes. because their voice just becomes his. Yes. And you're just like, because uh, I want the character to be the character, you know? Yeah, I don't not- buy that scene at all where those women are talking about, um, uh, and it's funny, I had, uh, um, oh, God, again, with the forgetting, the, the woman who's the star, Zoe, uh, Zoe Bell, she was the star, and oh, I cool. interviewed her on my last podcast, and we talked a lot about that. Um, just her, I said, so do you know all these movies like vanishing points? And she's like, I don't, I don't know any of that. That's all Tarantino. And I'm like that. And there it is. That's exactly what I thought when I was watching it. Right. Yeah. She had no reference to any Right. Of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, no. And I, I just, it, it's, it, I think those, I think back to some of those. See, I also like, I do like, and not that I'm not shooting for this. I really like, I I like that whole Western sort of feel. Like, I think that's really, it's a little bit of a spaghetti Western feel. But I remember back to those movies in the 60s. There were some, like, Hitchcock movies were amazing. Oh, yeah. And the language in them, you don't don't get to the end and miss the fact, man, that would have been better with a few more F-bombs. That's true. I mean, like, like that guy would have been more believable. Like, you know, there's a lot of really good thrillers. That you just didn't need it. Now I do understand if you're trying to show like like you know I mean yeah like you can't have like boys jacket. in the hood and <laughs> have it like geez that. No. that oh boy you guys got me upset you know like no <laughs> yeah you can't no there's if you want a realism right and and that's what it calls for yeah I mean it's then I'm on you know it's a whole different thing right. you know Full Metal Jacket obviously they yes. they weren't just like you know like come on guys let's go do a right. great job oh boy you know, like, yeah yeah I mean yeah, it's like, it's you're in the war I get that. I think we're on agreement on all this. I think that um, I think uh, I'm like Diacony, I think, is a really awesome project. Cool. Thank you. I really I'm looking forward to see where it goes. And again, the um, the only reason I I talk about the very strict Christian. So I guess this would be a double edged sword. If you went to the Christians, you could probably go and say, hey, I have this and they'll throw money at you because it's that. But then at the same time, they would want you to be what you're not. They would might say, "Look, I'm paying for this." Do you ever see Ed Wood? Uh, oh, yeah, I love Ed Wood. Yeah, the, I, I'm a big, I'm a big Tim Burton. My paper in, um, and well, I wrote a big auteur paper, and it was on Tim Burton. Yeah, you know, and um, and then obviously he loved, you know, like when he did Ed Wood, then like the remake, of, and like and Johnny Depp. Like when I was growing up, I followed Johnny Depp. Yeah, like he came out when I was in that age group of like you know probably 13 because he's like 10 years older than me, which is 
not creepy that I knew that at all. Um, but like, so I followed them and yeah, Ed Wood was just amazing. And yeah, so how, finish, I'm sorry. So there's the scene, basically he gets money from this church and they have to be baptized. About that, and they all they all go to get baptized, and then when they change, they changed because the movie was um, originally called something about the undead, or and they they were not comfortable with the title of the movie, and eventually he changes to Plan Nine. Uh, Forgot about that. Yeah, it's it's an amazing scene, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's interesting how like Ed Wood was like, I'll do whatever I can to get this movie made. I'll and every the whole cast got baptized, and uh, but I'm saying like. You know, it's interesting I, being in that position where you know you might be able to get money, but you don't well, know people, what the agenda would be behind the money. Well, people have said to me, like, that's on the two-road process. Yeah. Finding money is probably going to be make it harder because on the other side, like a Netflix or a Hulu, well, how religious is it? You know, kind yes. of like they're probably going to balk from, well, well, how religious is it? Because, I again, I like to say to people, it's not it's not a Christian film. It's based in those principles. And is that enough to draw people of faith in, like you're saying, to give you money to do it? Right. Or because it doesn't have the hard sell. Or is it also, is that too much now that a mainstream distributor kind of goes, oh, I don't want to deal with this. You know, like, you know, oh, it's, it's too much of that. And that's where I think I could, uh, like, end up in trouble. We are going to, though... Um, start to reach out. Like I have a donor box campaign and, and we're going to try to start reaching out to local churches. Cause again, I'm trying to do hyper local. So I'm really trying to push those local places and those local things, like just to raise the money for the trailer, you know? And again, Oh, real quick. I have banners I'm putting out four foot by six foot banners. Oh, nice. I have three of them. Yeah. I'm super excited. I don't, I, I talked to some people. It, it could be a giant waste of money, but on the banner, we have um, the girl that runs up to the priest. Right. She has a necklace on and in the banner, we have her with the necklace. Well, if you take a picture, it's just, it's like big enough to be a selfie spot. And we have her kind of like, ah, so like hopefully oh, that's cool. people will be goofy. Yeah. So we're going to put them at the local theater we have here and two other, re- or two re- the mall and a restaurant. And if you shoot a picture, tag it, and post it to any social media, they'll give you some free swag. Well, the free swag is that necklace. So it's kind of cool, like you're getting something from the That's true, but just don't use hashtag Save Amy or anything like that. No, no, no. (laughs) hashtag Diaconia Film. I did look it up. Oh, good. So it's interesting you say that, because when I was at Monster Mania uh, recently, um, Scream was doing exactly what you were doing. So, really? except for it wasn't a cardboard cutout, it was somebody dressed as the ghost face. Okay. And you would walk up for free, get your picture taken, and tag um, Scream Movie and Monster really? Mania Con, and you would be entered into winning something. Oh, cool. So you're doing All what right. the big boys are doing. Nice. I keep saying to people, I'm looking at it as the old school Burger King, like collect all five. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love those. So when I. Except for, you know what? You know shoot. what, Eric? Apparently they yeah. were they were painted with like lead paint or something, and that, that, that's why we that's can't why we can't remember anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the two of us are like, what's that called again? With Kirk so Aaron? let me give you this here. Midnight Mass is okay. a Netflix show. You should try watching it. But here is the little um, tagline of it. It's the arrival of a charismatic young priest brings glorious miracles, ominous mysteries, and renewed religious fervor to a dying town. Okay. So what I'm saying is. There is definitely interest out there for that type of thing, and Netflix yeah. is not against it. But if you wanted to know like what probably Netflix considers too much religion, you'd be able to watch that and say, okay, this is what they're yeah. looking for. Gotcha. Uh, because to me, that even I was re- uh, hesitant to watch it. 
Because oh, I'm really? like, yeah, it sounds like a Catholic thing. But everybody kept telling me, no, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. And I started watching okay. it. I'm like, yeah, this is it's, – it's a thriller, like kind of like an interesting called Midnight Mass. Um, yeah, I'll check it I'd out. love to hear what you think about it. Um, sure. Because I think, again, I see sort of this uh, – not necessarily saying that people are running back to religion. I don't know if that's the case, but I do feel that the what you're talking about is this idea of the mystery. Mm. There's definitely a fascination, especially in the youth. So I work with a lot of young people being in the tech place, and uh, they are like, I mean, talk about like these rocks or gems and things like that. Like they're all searching for something. Uh, yeah, for something. Right? Mm. And, uh, you know... I like the rocks, and you know, good for them, I guess. But uh, <laughs> like if it works for if you, it works for you, whatever works. But uh, I yeah. really enjoyed this. This is going to probably have to be a two-part. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm no, no. Talker. I'm not apologizing. You don't need to apologize. I enjoyed the out of our conversation, um, but I've never had one this long, which is really cool because uh, we had well, we had so much to talk about. And I, you know, I really want to have you back when we get further along with Diaconia. Cool. And yeah, and we'll you. talk more about it. I really enjoyed watching you know you grow from the creek to now, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. Awesome! No, thank you, man. I've I mean it's just nice chatting with you. And again, when it comes to talking film, yeah, I we could go on forever. There is one thing though I, I want to bring up. I I love that Lebanon Transit commercial that looks oh, like yeah. it's from the fifties. Yes. So tell Absolutely. me just quickly about that because I, I one the voiceover was spot on. Like so good, she was yes, amazing. Like the the actress, like where did you find? It looked like she just stepped out of the fifties. The costume design, everything about it, and you managed to do it in a way that just only a little bit. You you can see it's modern, but it has that feel. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, thank you. No, that's awesome. I love those. Okay, so I do production work, obviously, to pay the bills. And some stuff's fun, some stuff's not fun. Um, they came to me, Lebanon Transit, our local transit people, and they were like, hey, you know, we want to do these series of videos that are basically like tutorials, you know, like so that people know we have these services available. And they're like, we're open to ideas. And I was like, yes. So I had a couple ideas. And then I was kicking it around with a guy named Keith Myers, who's he's a band guy. You'd like him. Um, he has a band Shift 7, which I did a video for, a music video for them a while ago, at, right after the creek, basically. And I've done some other videos for him. And I was just chatting with him, and he was like, dude, you know, it'd be cool if you did it, like, 60s style. And I was like, ooh. So then I came up with some ideas, and I talked to the girl again at Lebanon Transit, who's really nice, Melissa Mann. And I was like, hey, I got an idea. These will be fun. They'll be interesting. They'll move quick. And so I pitched her how I was seeing this, and she was really open to it. She was like, sounds good. And I was like, awesome. And I go, we're going to have to cast this. And she was like, okay. We did the casting, so I did. I try to cast as local as possible, right. N not because like or for ease. I mean, it is nice if people are local and close by, but because again, there's a lot of talented people here. Yeah. Which if I get Diaconia going, I, there's so much talented crew actors like we could like use in this area. So this girl came in, and I said to people, "It's going to be a 1950s thing. Dress the part a little, right. you know, if you want to." The one actress was like, oh, my gosh, I love the 50s. You know, this is like my thing. And I was like, and I don't know if you've done auditions, but you're always kind of like, okay. Because yeah. sometimes it, that's. Yep. They'll tell you whatever <laughs> so, you, they, that you want to hear to get the part. And they show up and you're like, all right. Yep. She showed up. I had some great auditions from people and I definitely had somebody to work with. She showed up and I was like, she, she had that out. That's crazy. She was. 
top to bottom 50s. And she just, I mean, I got to give credit where credit's due. I'd like to say the director was 100% responsible (laughs) for this. She was awesome. And I mean, she took very little. She was one of those actresses. I was like, look, I'm not saying stuff to you because you're just nailing it. Like, you know, you're doing awesome. Because I know, like, as an actor, when I've done stuff and a director doesn't say anything to you, you're kind of like, dude, I'm not this good. You know? And so as a director, I always try to, like, you know, make sure I cover that. And I was like, you're just killing it. And when I asked her for something, she was like, boom, right there. And like even I think when when she is that did you see the one where she because there's like six no I only I thought there was just one I'm gonna I saw the one where she gets up with the little card (laughs) oh gotcha well there's one where she puts her bike on it oh my god I gotta check these out that one that one's great and she gets on the bus and I'm like hey I think I, I was like hey you know it's in the script I believe you know lean back out and give us a thumbs up and she leans out and she's like (laughs) and she gives you like it. Oh, yeah. No, that was the we did, though, all six of these in one day. We shot all six of these. And and I honestly, yeah, thank you. I love them. Like, those, I, I just think I wish they would have put them in because I, I don't I'm sure like all these different places have like, you know, they can submit stuff, right. you know, for awards, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. And I was always saying to the, the Melissa, I'm like, Dude, you got to submit this to something. But I think she's a bit overwhelmed, like her job's busy. Yeah, days. right. But I always just loved them because I just thought they were they're fun, entertaining. And yeah, that that girl. Killed yeah, it. so well I done. I can't tell you her name, but she moved right after that to Florida. And I was kind of like, because oh, I totally was going to hit her up for other stuff yeah. in the future. But yeah, no, no. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's always. No, I enjoyed the like, hell out of those. Know, so uh, cool. absolutely. Thank you so much. And yeah. um, send me some links. I'll keep bugging you with stuff. Yeah, send me some links that I can use to put in the show notes. Anything sure. you want me to put in there. Um, sure. And like the, the donates and all that stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. You. And um, when I hang up, just keep your browser open for like 30 seconds to let it upload the full versions to the cloud, which oh, cool. then come to me. Oh, nice. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, it's really been great. It. And it's been great catching this up. It's been fun chatting about film, and I appreciate your input on Diaconia. Because oh. it is good to talk to people like yourself that aren't as like bought in. A lot right. of the people I talk to are more like in line with people of faith. So I got theories, but it's nice to chat with someone that's a now, little like I said, at it from a different perspective. I Like I said, with Midnight Mass, I was a little bit off on it. But with, when I read yours, I'm like, no, I like this. It didn't throw me off for like, uh, I don't know about this, you know, gotcha. because... Cool. Again, like I said, I love those stories, and it sounds like you're creating a universe that is something I would love to watch. Awesome. So I'm Thanks, looking man. forward to it. Hey, have a great day. All right. You take care. Yep. See you. Bye-bye.